anyway, that's all that's all I can say. <laughs> Andrew, the mind boggles. It really does. It was one of those games watching it where I I genuinely was like, um, I hate missing Swindon games. I really, really do. Birkenhead, for me, um, in my current personal situation, was a stretch just a little bit too far um, on a wind, windy weekday evening. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, uh, my tip, hats off to you, Andrew. You are the length and breadth of this country. I appreciate it. It's professional for you. But it's also a labour of love, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, it's um, it's a great, a great um, privilege to do. I know, that, I know that sounds terribly corny, but at the point where I stopped kind of walking into the ground and picking up my pass not feeling cheerful about it is the point where I should stop immediately and and somehow despite last night and despite um, um, some thrilling football and some not so thrilling eras recently um, that hasn't that hasn't happened yet so um, long long may that feeling continue well good on you do you know what I mean I've, I've been very privileged Andrew over the years to be invited on by the BBC to summarise on a few occasions um, I mentioned a couple of names there unfortunately I was a little bit um, uh, Vic won't like uh, won't thank me for saying this but uh, Vic was a little bit before my my sort of adult years where I would have been trusted with a mic in my hand um, but I have worked prior with um, both Chris Wise and with Ed Hadwin um, and it really is something to behold when you when you see um, the the amount of preparation that goes into what you do, the amount of travel, uh, potential technical hiccups, um, the multitasking that you do in terms of things that are going on in your ears whilst you're also trying to make sense of what's going on in front of you is is no mean feat. So I mean, hopefully over the course of tonight, we'll get, we'll get into the bones of some of that, how you survive it and how, as you say, you're still thrilled to be picking up your... Uh, your match pass, but um, whilst whilst we're waiting to be joined by my illustrious co-host Tyler, I just thought we'd uh, we might as well start by having a little tuck into last night. Um, but I thought before we do that, what what are your thoughts on the season thus far, Andrew? Speaking as um, speaking as both a commentator and a Swindon Town fan, where, where's your mind at? Um, I suppose the first thing is it's like um, it's massive relief that it's not what we all feared it was probably going to be about July, and that we're not sort of sitting there and. 19th or god forbid even though that we're not in oldham's position and doing that so uh that's the first thing i think the it's very hard to get away from the current kind of prevailing feeling that it's all just sort of unraveling a bit at the moment it's a real you know test of how pragmatic ben garner is going to be uh, he's broadly stick to his principles but will you know will he do what richie wellens would do sometimes and tweak them a bit um if you remember that like crew game a couple of seasons ago where he just kind of Tore everything up and threw a new formation in the air and just felt that he had to do something different to beat Crew and he did. So will Ben go on and do that? I don't know. But it's um it's been much, much better than I expected. But of course, um we all get a bit greedy, don't we? Once once we've got past the first bit, we know we're staying in the division, then you're suddenly you're suddenly looking up. So but no, most of the time it's been it's been much better. I thought I thought I was often going to be coming out of Sutton and goodness knows wherever with a you know polite grin on my face and it's like okay this is this is where we are and this is where we're going to be for a couple of years but it's it's kind of better than that but everyone's just a bit a bit on edge at the moment and and you know last night doesn't help. Yeah, I think I mean certainly from my point of view, sort of speaking from my you know my my not so lofty perch in the town end, I um. I've been to a few away games this year, um, pretty much all the home games. And I think what, what really um, has occurred to me is that the lads have given us enough um, highlights to sort of stave off any sense of immediate panic and any sense of doom and gloom. I mean, the fact that the crowds keep coming back show that 
um, you know, there is a there is more than a hint of optimism. Appreciate that, you know, the um, a couple of the recent crowds been a little bit below um, what the club will maybe expect him. But having said that, they're still up massively um, on where we were um, during uh, the uh, tail end of John Sheridan's reign. I think um, I've uh, uh, the, the the biggest issue I think from from my perspective is just I mean we, we we've talked on the show recently about um, comparing eras and comparing levels of engagement from the playing staff and from the management versus for example the Richie Wellens era um, and have highlighted that potentially look there could be more there could be more done there to sort of help his own cause um, and curry a little favour. Um, it's not lost on me that we were singing Richie Wellen's name loudly and proudly when we were in a kind of comparable league position under his reign. Um, mm. and, and, and Ben Garner hasn't hasn't enjoyed the same level of affection shown towards him. I think the, the other thing that makes his job very tricky is obviously it's 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 kind of glib to throw around the you know news of the you know and talk of the embargo and nearly losing our club in the summer. But I think being realistic. Um, the club are operating to a certain budget. Um, the club are obviously restricted to a certain degree. The loss of um, a player like Anthony Grant, whilst on one hand is going to be a huge help to uh, Ben Garner in terms of freeing up funds to operate in the transfer market, um, I don't think you can understate the level of um, enthusiasm, passion and affection that the fans held for Anthony Grant. And um, as I've looked through the current team, and if again, if I'm going to do a like-to-like comparison with the witch, with the Richie Wellens era, for me, it's um, shy of talisman. Um, you know, you you look through the you look through the Richie Wellens lineup, and there was a core of players that you would call talismanic that had a, a real bond and um, uh, a certain amount of um, uh, sort of immediate affection shown to them from the crowd. Um, and I think Anthony Grant was one of the few players in the current squad that carries that level of affection. And um, clearly losing him, along with losing other talisman that sadly um, were all loan players, so not our assets, um, I think makes it a very, very, very tough task for him. And um, clearly now we're trying to bed in players that weren't necessarily first choices at their, at their respective teams. So they're going to be a little bit shy on fitness. They're not used to how we play. Um, it's gonna, you know, it is gonna take a while at a time where those around us are hitting their stride. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that kind of, from my point of view, Andrew sort of pretty much dovetails with what, with what you're saying. But I mean, you know, last night was a certainly the lowest point of the season. Would you not agree? I mean, it was pretty poor fare. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I think that I think that has to be the the worst performance, kind of collectively, I can think of. And as a another thing that. Um, the recruiting has very consciously been, it has sort of largely been kind of younger players, even those those younger players that you were sort of talking about uh, with, with the kind of cult status who've, you know, Terry Simpson has really been stuffed by a switch, frankly. And, you know, Kane Kessler Hayden, you look at that, um, I'm pretty sure if I was going to add them up, I'd have to check Tom Davis' age, but I'm pretty confident that between them, the two Tranmere centre halves that were older than the three Swindon centre halves, which, which tells you a lot. And you perhaps do. You know, you th- you think back to that that Richie Williams was. You point there's, there's loads of experienced players in there. You think Michael Doughty played a little bit in the Premier League, but certainly around at a, at a higher level. You know, people like Danny Rose who could come in, who had experience of promotions before, and with the with the kind of recruitment they've gone for, um, you know, partly partly necessarily, um, they haven't got that. So maybe when you know when things are going wrong and it needs someone to to grab it a little bit, there are perhaps those players with quite that kind of experience and, and knowledge to do so 
Yeah, and I think knowledge, knowledge and experience. I think experience feeds in with one of the real bugbears that fans are sharing at the moment, which is the, um, the you know, the the sort of regular stream of ill discipline that we see across the squad, and unfortunately in the dugout as well. Um, obviously, um, Scott Marshall being sent off, um, you know, last night certainly um, raised an eyebrow as he came across as being one of the more sort of um, uh, sort of level-headed and experienced members yeah. of the coaching staff. Um, and I think um, it's interesting when, when you're recruiting very talented young players. I don't like to say that all young players are, are instinctively hot-headed. That would be unfair. But it is fair to say there are a lot of young players. If you take Louis Reed, for example, after he was sent off, I mean, he came straight out, didn't he, and said, you know, essentially, in as many words, I'm a young player. I, I, you know, it's a big mistake. I shouldn't have done it. I learned from my mistakes. You and I know it, it's probably unlikely you'll do something like that ever again in his career. Um Chances are, unfortunately, that um, you know young young players are prone to you know those kind of outbursts, and it is purely an experience thing that prevents them from doing it. And if it's not their own experience, then it's the experience of those around them. And obviously, most of our squad don't carry that level of experience, unfortunately. Um, I think the other thing as well is that I mean, I I tweeted about it earlier today. Uh, you know, fundamentally, the the very exciting team that we had pre Christmas has pretty much had its guts ripped out of it. Um, a combination of the lone players returning, uh, injuries to Jack Payne, suspensions to both Dion Conroy and a loss of form. Suspensions, of course, with Louis Reed. Um, you know, it, it, we're, we're kind of the current team versus what we had pre-Christmas. It almost feels like we're comparing apples with pears. Would you not agree? Yeah, no, no. I think I think they clearly are losses. Um, you know, Kester Hayden obviously provided that sort of pace and dynamism. And it, it kind of looks a bit like Joe Tomlin's sort of there to see if he can bring that to at least one of the wing-back positions if Rob Hunt's more steady. Overson um, is clearly struggling with, with fitness and hasn't been able to have the impact that Tyree Simpson has had, uh, that's for sure. So, um, you know, the people who are giving Tyree some, a few pelters earlier in the season are, are probably reflecting that wasn't the, the wisest analysis, I would think. But yeah, no, the, especially with, with sort of pain and read out, albeit on a temporary basis, that really has kind of... Hit the hit the squad a bit, and you know it, it did kind of show last night. It was just all a bit a bit too much against an experienced team with plenty of gnarly players who knew absolutely perfectly how to press Swindon and how to how to close Swindon down and get the defenders trying to play out in places they couldn't play out or they didn't want to play out. Yeah, I mean they're very well drilled, Tramir. Uh, for my money, they. Uh... I think their pressing was relentless. Clearly, very, very fit side. Very, very good at what they do. It's reflected in their league position. Um, before the game, I it was wishful thinking. Really, I was sort of, you know, sort of trying to convince myself we could come away with three points. But I mean, in reality, it was always going to be a mountain to climb last night. And I mean, I, you know, all, 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 I'm trying to avoid all the football cliches, but unfortunately, <laughs> they, all, they all really do apply. Oh, I can do some of those. No worries. Ah, well, I'll leave that to you. That's yes, that could be your gig this evening, Andrew. So, I mean, from your going, going sort of going back to um, going back to the season itself, Andrew, and coming at it from your sort of professional uh, sort of you know perch um, up on the commentary gantry, who 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 immediately springs to mind as your kind of heroes and your and your villains thus far this season? Both not not necessarily looking internally at Swindon Town, but you know taking a broad view across the piece. Is that because I can think of a couple of immediate pieces of commentary where you <laughs> you were ducking projectiles and all kinds of things and and still managing to put a little bit of mirth into your tone, but. Um, What's your, what used to be your heroes and villains of 2021-22 thus far? 
Oh, crikey, yeah, there was that there was that Stevenage game where yeah, someone <laughs> someone was like hurling a curling a cup at us right at the end. I can't I can't remember, quite remember why they were why they were so right. Oh, no, I know. I think I think some Swindon fans have got boxing behind us. So I I think for once I wasn't the the target of ire. I think I was. Um, <laughs> but we did, we did have to we did have to duck pretty sharpish. Oh, heroes. Um, that's a good. That's a good question. Um, I kind of feel like Louis Reed's coming and. You know, we we do seem to enjoy defensive midfield a bit. Anthony Grant or Louis Reed, he's really kind of come in and and added something. Um, Harry McCurdy's got great sort of cult status, and I have to admit, um, they seem to manage to steer us away from interviewing for him for a long time. But when I did speak to him, I was slightly worried that I was going to get kind of um, hunted to death, frankly. But but actually, he was he was kind of really he was sort of really good and gave quite a kind of thoughtful and an interesting interview I thought so um, I have to say when I kind of saw Weymouth at McCurdy, uh, McCurdy at Weymouth and kind of remembered him from the Carlisle game a couple of seasons ago I was kind of hopeful they might they might sign him as a player who could do something at this level but I think he's kind of exceeded all our all our expectations really and um, with your your keepers hat on Joe Wallacott I think really really come on so they're they're certainly kind of the on on pictures. Um, I hope this doesn't sound too much like um, terrible. Um, what can I say? Fluffing up for people I have to interview, but I, I think I give Rob Angus an enormous amount of credit for coming in as chief exec from the from the outside and you know taking a re- taking a real risk by you know going where his heart was and and taking charge of Swindon and trying to put it all together. And you know from what I can see and whenever I speak to him, I'm doing a a really kind of professional and, and thorough job at it. And there's there is plenty, I think, as, as far as I can tell, that are sort of, you know, um, they've, you know, you know, you you put sort of one finger in the dike, and I think something else comes out quite often. So, um, yeah. I think I, I think Rob has impressed me a great deal with the the way he's approached things and and kind of what he's been able to to do so far. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting actually. I mean, just just sort of like addressing me to your your heroes thus far. Then, I mean, I think I've I've been very vocal on this show um, pretty much since the first episode, really, where uh, in terms of discussing Louis Reed, uh, I think one of the reasons for that is that Louis makes himself so readily available um, in and around the stadium, um, whether that be in hospitality or down the side of the arcles or in the car park, and. I think I um I had some really interesting. I'm sure Phil won't mind me sharing with you. I had a really interesting exchange with uh, Louis' dad a couple of weeks ago. Um, I um uh, I've got um, I've got children of my own, but um, we also um, foster uh, in our family as well, um, and we foster long term. So it's probably the, the the closest that you will get to um, going down down an adoption route without actually going down the full adoption route. And um, it, it's it can be a very very delicate balance um, fostering for anyone that hasn't done it because you are still maintaining contact with um, you know with with birth family. Um, you're maintaining contact with the local authority, and it can be a very, very, you know, delicate balance in terms of the young person's emotions you're looking after. And um, the, the thing that really strikes me, I, I'll mention two names to you. So I, I lean on football quite heavily um, to kind of, you know, show our young people like a different way of life. You know, typically young people that we work with are from inner London. Um, they're very channeled in their view, very blinkered. Um, you wouldn't, they, they wouldn't know one end of, of, you know, the M4 to the other. So you can you can imagine their surprise when you know they're you know the, the the now the dad in their life essentially wishes them off down the M4 and exposes them to the wonderful world of Swindon Town and um, they're definitely a shock. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's absolutely quite a culture shock geographically, emotionally, um, you know, even down to, you know, people's accents. You know, sometimes these young people haven't haven't heard a, 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 an accent outside of inner London. So um, anyway, it's quite a journey. But the we first time I bought my um, my youngest uh, to the county ground, we, we hung around for a few photos. I said, look, I'll take you down, introduce you to the players and such like. And Louis Reed spent a good, good portion of time. Now, he didn't understand my background, doesn't know who I am, doesn't know who, who my daughters are. And we, we, we stood there talking. And, um, and Louis was, was really, really ebullient, um, very genuine, very passionate. Um, and actually, at no point did he give the impression he was looking to sort of dash away to his car. Mm. Um, if, if anything, we were walking away from Louis at the end. Now, it could have been because <laughs> he was hiding from certain persons that, that stalk the Arkles, uh, Arkles alleyway. Um, but I didn't get that impression at all and i shared that story um and my background with with his dad um and it's quite clear that Ghana's mantra of bringing good quality people um, into the playing staff, people that really respect what their position as a professional footballer and how they feel about the club and how they feel about the community that they're serving, um, it, it certainly goes beyond the sort of run-of-the-mill footballer. And, and whilst I'm on the subject sort of along similar lines, I, I tip my hat to, um, to our uh, former loanee, Tyree Simpson, as well. Almost identical circumstances. Um, Tyrese always has time for myself and my family, always happy to post for pictures, always happy to stand around and have a chat. Um, so it's it, just so just picking up on what you were saying about, you know, Louis Reed certainly being a star on the pitch, certainly off it, he reflects all the values that we see on it. And I think it's also interesting what you're saying about McCurdy. So um, just through various bits and bobs that I've done in, in and around the club, I've had some time where I've rubbed shoulders with Harry. And, and like you, you, I wasn't quite sure what to expect. It's like this guy's either going to go off like a firecracker um, oh. or, or he's going to be meek as a mouse. And I just found him so very normal. Um, despite the fact he was walking around in orange slip-ons and socks, um, he was um, so quite the personality. But at the same time, just a, again, I use that word ebullient, just a really sort of chatty, um, humble, um, sort of, you know, um, nicely presented young guy who seems to be very, very happy. Uh, I mean, he actually, you know, said to me, he's hoping to, you know, get some roots down in the area and settle at Swindon and really kick on in his career. And that was just prior to him going on his run of goals. So, um, yeah, I, I, certainly from, from a fan's perspective, I would be flagging those guys as, as my heroes. But um, I, I don't necessarily want to, want, to, want to press you on your villains, but has there been any, I mean, we mentioned Stevenage, has, has there been any sort of incidents or persons that have sort of sort of, sort of taken the wind out of your sails this year, maybe unexpectedly or expectedly? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. I'm trying to um, I'm trying to think, actually. I mean, like I say, generally, generally with the, the kind of players... Um, some you know occasionally in the past you can you can have ones where it's like oh they're, they're you know X is coming out it's like oh okay this is going to be like getting blood from a stone um, or whatever but most most of them are, pre are pretty kind of good like that um, I think the whoever it was at Tramia told me I looked like I was carrying so much stuff I looked like I've been thrown out by my wife when I arrived it was poss <laughs> possibly my um, might go down into the villain category although it was delivered with the usual scouse bonhomie so I guess I'll let them get away get away with that but um no i think it's um it's hard i think i'm fairly probably fairly forgiving really so um and and genuinely not trying to dodge the question but it's it's hard to think of anyone certainly in like the swindon squad that you'd really kind of um roll your roll your eyes at so so yeah i guess the old paper cup hurler at stevenage and um scouse would would fall into those categories <laughs> that'll do me nicely so 
We're um, delighted to say that, uh, that Tyler's joined us, Andrew, whilst we've been nattering away. He's been feeling a little bit rough today, so um, you'll, you'll, both of us will excuse him if he's a little uh, if he's a little off form today. But uh, how are you, Tyler? Good evening and welcome to you. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm all right, mate. How are you? Yeah, well, listen, I've got no sympathy for you. The only reason you're feeling rough is that, obviously, you made the trip to Birkenhead last night. All credit to you. No, no, don't remind me. <laughs> listen we, we've we've just done a whilst we wait for you to come on we've just done a, a minor dissection we'll come back to you and i will come back to to Tramere in a little bit more uh detail later but um we're um andrew we from from my point of view what i wanted to do is sort of move things on and have a oh. have, have a little chat about you and your, and your background and so forth i'm delighted to find out despite the fact you don't look it you've actually got a fair bit on me mate so 48 years old, Andrew, is that correct? Uh, your researchers are good. They're all too good. Um, yeah, yeah, so uh, 48. So I've been I've been around um, hopefully longer than it sounds. So, the, only, uh, the only reason I flagged that, Andrew, is Tyler takes great pleasure in calling me granddad. So I'm quite pleased that I'm... <laughs> I'm quite pleased I'm not the oldest oldest person on the show tonight. So, um, but it means that I've got to treat you with the reverence that an elder statesman is due. Um, so, what am I? Am I a near-death experience at this point? Am I? <laughs> not in the not in the slightest. You've got more energy than the both of us put together, Andrew. I, I assure you. Um, Andrew, as I understand it, were you talk to me a little bit about your family geography? Were you born in Swindon? Um, my my kind of family are from Swindon. It's like my my parents sort of um, grew up there. They met there, um, but you know, once they got into their twenties, they kind of they kind of moved around. So um, weirdly, I'm born I'm born in Liverpool, but I am but you know with the with the parents and everything, it's very much sort of Swindon. But I was kind of brought up round um, round kind of Surrey because my my dad kind of ended up working for the. Um, in the sort of civil service, so he sort of he kind of commutes into London, disappear into the Department of Education, and um, so yeah. So, but so I haven't I haven't necessarily got the twang, but I do have I do have the kind of um, sort of Swindon background where where all the family are from. So you and I, you and I are very similar in that respect because I'm I'm a South East Londoner, born and bred, and my. Um, my immediate family are actually all, all either Londoners or Irish, and my um, mm. my uh, I have a lot of family that that still live in Swindon. I have family living in Cobbingham. I've got family in Walcott. I've got family in Stratton, uh, Two Hill, Freshbrook, etc. Um, so the the kind of I'm wondering whether the common denominator you said about your your family were they were they to, were were one or other of them town fans? Were they the ones that got you into into the supporting the football club? Yeah, well, my my dad was um, my dad's a was so very much into into football, and there was a, there was actually a point because um, he he was sort of a teenager just after after the Second World War, and he actually he was kind of on the books for a little bit as a goalkeeper. And um, the story, as far as as far as I know, and there are there is at least sort of photographic evidence to prove he did do this, and he's not just made it to, not just done it to wind me up. So there's, there's like Paul Plowman documentary photos that. Um, he possibly had the chance to go professional, or he could have, or he had the chance to go to university. And you know, immediately after the war, the chance to go to university, from his point of view, I think was too good to to turn down compared to the you know the possibility of being a apprentice goalkeeper on Swindon's books. So he went there. So obviously, you know, the the football connection there and the kind of Swindon connection is very strong. And he, you know, he'd sort of go and and see them when he was a sort of student and. and when he could and that and that kind of thing. So you know, if they, he was sort of in London, so if they if they were sort of playing in London, he'd go and watch them. He'd go and watch them over. So um, it you know didn't go so much when the older he got, but 
it's you know that was it's always sort of there in the background. You know, Swindon is the uh, Swindon is the team. Yeah. So what? Your do you do you still remember your first game, Andrew? Um, I do. I had to look it up on the brilliant hyphen Swindon hyphen town hyphen FC uh, website just to check that my memory of it was actually right. But I was taken to a game when I must have been five, um, which I checked. All I could remember was that Swindon were beaten four three at home by Fulham. So I did look it up, and that is a game at about the right time. So I think I don't think I dreamt it was fun. I can't remember anything about it really, other than going into what's the the sort of main stand now, the John Trollope stand, and you know at that age, you're just kind of being overwhelmed by the size of it and the greenness of the grass and all those sort of all those kind of cliches. And there was some kid with a Fulham scarf sitting right in front of me, and I don't know why that was because he clearly should have been near the end. But but in terms of like the in terms of kind of the players or, or the game or very much, I can't I can't remember a thing about it other than, other than that result. So that's um that's the first game. I think I think appropriately enough, it looks like it was that sort of David Peach era where we spent a load of money signing players that looked quite decent on paper and it didn't turn out like that. Then it all went a bit a bit off. Uh... Well, you and, you and I have got a little bit further shared shared uh, common interest there because my first game was also against Fulham. I remember it very well. Um, 86-87 season, uh, 1-0 winner away at Craven Cottage and Dave Bamber scoring the winner in an era where I don't necessarily think we were throwing money around, but Lou Macari made some very, very astute signings and then obviously clearly laid the foundations for what became our golden era through to the kind of mid-90s. But, uh, yeah, all stuff. So, again, common ground, Andrew. We've got loads in common. <laughs> a, bit, a bit of Fulham. Tyler, what, do, do you remember your first game? Uh, i tell you what. You're a wee much. pup, mate. Now, come I'll on. I know you're on feeling the... rough, but you, it must have felt like yesterday to you. I'll, I'll jump on the footballer and find, find out for you. Oh, that's shocking. Right, we're going to have to come back to you if you can't. If it doesn't spring straight to the front of your mind. That's, that's ridiculous. 17 years old, Andrew, if you believe it. I still can't remember his first ever game. And this is this is a guy that's more about Swindon Town than I, than I care to mention. Tell but you what, seven, if, if what, this is right, it's yeah. pretty good going because it seems it would have been when we beat Pompey 5-0 at the county ground. What a way to start. Got no problem oh, with my supporter. I wish I could have had that for a year. Mind you... 1-0 win, FA Cup third round against high league opposition. Yeah, that sucked me in for life, didn't it? But, uh, Andrew, did you, did you say you remember the result from your first game? Well, well like I said, uh, Swindon lost 4-3 at home. But that was, that, was like, that was like the one thing I could remember about it. I could remember like seeing the grass thinking, whoa, and you know, just being blown away by the whole thing and the result. And like exactly how they got there or what happened in between is total blur. Is, I can't is, tell you anything about it. Yeah, well, to be fair, like as a as a five year old, even on the on the raw end of a defeat, you've walked away seeing seven goals. So I can imagine, even even if it wasn't the town that sucked you in, the the, the concept of going and watching a cracking game of football would have certainly sucked you in. Could have been worse, couldn't it? Your first game could have been last night. You'd never have come back. But, oh, oh, just go on. <laughs> uh... Do you? Um, who were your player heroes, Andrew? As you were, um, as as you were sort of, as you remember your love for Swindon starting to unfold. Who are the players that um, that that really floated your boat? Yeah, I, th- I think um, I shall be. I shall be completely honest. I will. I will come out here. Um, Swindon was the team. I did have a. I did have a teenage flirtation with the Nottingham Forest a bit. I must admit, when they were in their Brian Clough heyday. So I can remember. I can remember some of that team. And then I. And then for whatever reason, I'm not quite sure why. But I kind of re-engaged more with Swindon in the. Um, it was kind of more. Well, the kind of nineties. 
I'm probably a bit of a like football area east just after Italia 90. I kind of got re re-stimulated a bit again. So I kind of went, there was a fairly long gap. And then I went to a game at, um, no, what was it? I think it was Charlton away, but I think that was when they were playing at Upton Park. And mm-hmm. uh, it was just sort of watching Glenn Hoddle as sweeper, just pinging the ball majestically around and Kerslake and Bowden putting it, you know, kind of controlling it after that. And then it was then it was kind of like, even though they lost on the day, I think, I lost, I think Carl Lieburn scored. See, see, these are the random oh, things that you remember, Lieber. yeah. Well, so, obviously, Andrew, I, I literally live in Charlton, Crystal Palace, yeah. Central. And and Carl Lieburn has legendary status in the hood, as the kids like to say. Um, he, yeah, really interesting player. He was kind of, he was, he was more of a cult hero because fundamentally he wasn't very good. Yeah, um, no, he didn't, yeah. he didn't score a lot, did he? But <laughs> as, in the, as is, as is the way you get, you get Michael Ricketts <laughs> or Carl Lieburn against, and bang, you know, they're, they're on target, they're on target. So I kind of, I kind of sort of picked it much more back up. I think of that, of that kind of era, just after, you know, after the division, all that, and pushing yeah. for the. And pushing for the Premier League and started going a bit more often when I was a kind of student and stuff. So, so obviously the the kind of um, Hoddle, Calder, and Taylor, Kersley, um, so we've gone through all the defenders uh, there. Um, so you know that that era is kind of very strong. Um, I guess, I guess Fjortoft is my my kind of ultimate hero really because um, he went from well you know partly because the story is brilliant, um, partly because he was just like funny and entertaining. And outgoing and it's got a really good media career now which is which is no surprise and he still kind of evidently cares about Swindon when you look at his Twitter so I think I think Fjortoft's possibly my my kind of all-time favorite really um I was always kind of very fond of Peter Thorne when he wasn't injured as Peter, well so yeah Peter so that, yeah, yeah so I think um I think probably the time where I'm going sort of home and away just as a as a fan, most often is that kind of um, mid sort of, you know, Stephen Aristide Thor kind of moment. And, you know, I watched, I watched a lot of that team and Ian Culverhouse always seemed to play with, you know, he could have been smoking a cigar at the time. So I had a lot of, a lot of kind of regard for Ian Culverhouse just because he, he made, you know, third tier defending look absolutely, absolutely effortless really. So, So that kind of team, if less so the manager, I remember with kind of a, a lot of affection really so those those are the kind of peak um the peak times i think when i was just kind of you know i was sort of going home and away and so well i'll tell you i'll tell you what's really interesting i so listening to those heroes i mean completely agree with you Col- the, the, the situation the sad thing about ian culverhouse that i used to say was that i wish ian culverhouse had been um around just a season or so earlier yeah um, absolutely as opposed to, as opposed to terry fennick um, because he, I certainly think he would have gone some way to filling the impossible void left by Glenn Hoddle. Um, what, what really, this will make you chuckle though, Andrew. So Tyler's, um, as a consequence of getting to know Tyler over the last year or so, I've ended up meeting a whole host of um, new people at Swindon Town and formed some really good friendships. And this week on our WhatsApp group, we were bounding around, you know, the, the typical dream 11s. And I, I was really really sort of conspicuous by my absence because the, the guys 11s as i was looking through them i was literally almost from goalkeeper through to substitutes going 
that that guy doesn't hold a, a candle to mm. Reese Bigby. <laughs> that that guy doesn't hold a candle to David Kersley. That guy doesn't hold a candle to Paul Bowden. And I've literally named the ninety before I could even get to ninety three. I'd named the eighty nine ninety Swindon set Swindon team the Wembley Wembley final side from top to bottom. And part part of what makes me feel quite sad is that there is this whole generation of of guys that I've met, and I mean they're not you know so. You know, a few, quite a few of the guys are a fair bit older than Ty, but still, they they hadn't they, they can't comprehend just how majestic, for example, Glenn Hoddle looked in a Swindon Town shirt at the county ground. Like you, the, the comprehension of you know to, for Tyler's generation of football fan to to explain to someone, imagine bringing David Beckham into Swindon Town oh. and having having him play at sweeper and hitting those Beckham rakish long diags. And it being so effortless, but also having, a, well, Beckham's a bad example because his profile is stratospheric compared to anybody. But, you know, a player that certainly in footballing terms had that that level of profile coming to Swindon and essentially carrying us to the Premier League um, at the ripe old age of, you know, 30, 34, 35, 36. I mean, it's it's kind of beyond comprehension, I think, for, for a lot of the new generation of Swindon fans. And we talked, it's interesting, Andrew, because we talked about... Um, uh, in the, I think it was the show prior to the last one about our Swindon Town fans spoil, and somebody made that exact point that, well, hang on a second, I, I, how can I be spoiled when you know the best that I've ever known has been Owen Doyle and Jerry Yates, and because I come at it from a point of view of having seen the Macari Ardiles Hoddle era, even to an extent the first half of the Steve McMahon era, um, and then obviously thereafter the the downs and the ups again, but it's. Um, you know, it, it's it saddens me that, but at the same time, I feel quite smug that I actually got to see that level of greatness at the county ground because it really was something to see, wasn't it? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes, I mean, it, yeah, it's very difficult to to easily sort of pinpoint the sheer kind of majesticness with which Glenn Hoddle would would kind of do things and orchestrate the the whole things, and you know, it was it was kind of crushing when he went because you lost you lost your best player and you lost your manager at the same time, and that was kind of recoverable from and the way Adrian Whitbread was going to do the same thing um, <laughs> for all the for all the effort he put in but but yeah I think I, I do kind of I, I, I do kind of realise a reflection because you know you kind of you kind of, I kind of sort of hit it a little bit before the before the peak that um, that, um, that normality that was all a bit of a anomaly really but the the kind of worrying thing now is the normality is increasingly bouncing between the bottom two divisions whereas um historically we've generally sort of bounced between what's now the the championship and league one i mean that that sort of league one season we're talking about where you know it's when they've gone gone down and then gone down again um i think we all kind of strutted round after about seven or eight games going to york or, or wherever it was in the 13 thinking um, certainly i remember going to Kind of Brentford, think you Steve Finney again, and you know they were that that terrace there was absolutely you know was absolutely packed. Noise was tremendous. There was a like real surge when he's gone thinking, oh we're t- you know we're too we're too good a club to be knocking around in the third tier. We're gonna we're gonna drag ourselves back into our sort of na- into what should be our natural environment now in the um, in the championship. And under uh, the natural environment of the championship, sadly, are not current current bedfellows. Yeah, I mean, I, I just sort of echo what I said earlier. I mean, that, that for me was a staple diet, you know, upper echelons of the championship, pushing for the playoffs. Um, I mean, I do vividly remember being in Swindon, ironically, and listening to um, BBC Radio Wiltshire um, 
when um, Sean Hodgetts broke the news. And it was almost like a, a side story that, you know, the, the overdraft had been called in by the bank. And at, at that age, I didn't quite understand that the ramifications of that, you know, the finances were going to be a lot tighter for the football club moving forward, that the club was going to have to cut its cut its cloth and not not be able to speculate perhaps in the way that it had in the past. And um certainly, yeah, when I when I think back now, I mean I it's you know, it's it's sad that, that story is one that sticks in my head. But it from that point in time obviously money talks, you know, football and money became more and more um sort of wedded and the um the ability for for clubs like um, like Swindon to you know without that significant input from the bank you know to continue to punch above our weight um you know we, we and, and along the lines of you know various various crises and you know um you know spells of mismanagement and you know spells of just poor managerial appointments have, have kind of done for us but obviously whilst it's hard to say off the back of last night bright new eras and all that and, and the future looks a, a a little bit brighter but um you're getting back to you andrew you're you're obviously now the man with the mic so talk, talk, talk to me about when did you know that you wanted to get that mic in your hand and be a commentator like what sort of age were you were you were you the archetypal standing in front of the mirror with your hairbrush instead of singing you were actually sort of world cup commentating or how does it how does it work how do you um, it yeah, I was I was a bit like one of those people. Um, yeah, so should I tell the embarrassing story? Why not? I used to do a thing at school at the playground, which was gerbil racing, which was basically me doing a horse racing commentary, <laughs> where I get where like the other kids would pick the name of this gerbil, and I'd like make up the race and what happened really. So um, I guess when I reflect on that, my <laughs> life, my my current life is pretty much sort of predestined because I. As a kid, kind of horse racing captured my imagination as well as as well as football for what, for whatever reason. Um, thank, so thank, for, thankfully, seven, thankfully I'm not in a world of death. There we go. <laughs> yeah. So 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 yeah. So no, somehow, somehow that did attract a crowd. Not many, but there are a few like a few like devotees. So so I, I suppose from that that kind of point. So there's there's that, and then I kind of um, you know I'm kind of very lucky, some privileged background. So I went I went to like university and ended up kind of doing student radio there you know whether it's kind of coincidence from that or not or whether it then and then sort of working working my way in from there so so i think as long as i can remember it's like sport as always sport was like the third thing the first thing i can ever remember kind of grabbing me as a as a kid i suppose and it sort of works it's it kind of works its way on from there well, I mean, Tyler. Tyler will happily tell you I'm I'm absolute renter gob, Andrew, when it comes to being able to speak. But at the same time, I found um, summarising actually a, a, a real challenge. Um, and I'm I'm not actually doing the main sort of commentary. I'm very I'm very acute with jumping in. There's sort of verbal cues you can feel when a sentence is coming mm. to an end. There's a natural point to pitch in. But I, I can I can talk until the cows come home. I mean, I, I typically the the Tom Broadbent Lounge has been set up where we were saying that you know typically we'll we'll do like sixty to ninety minutes. But I think um, poor old Tyler, I keep him I keep him up sort of you know way beyond that limit, and we end up. I mean, I think our record show transfer deadline day, we didn't stop talking, and we realised we'd done nearly three and a half hours. So. Um, <laughs> How, but you're the, the thing that really impressed me about you, Andrew, and it's not uh, please take this in the in, in the spirits intended. First time I met you in the flesh, you, mm. you really struck me as being you're, you're a really understated sort of actually, you came across as being 
you know, you, you're not you're not one of these guys where you stood there and I'm stand, sort of like I start a conversation that I wish I'd start. I wish I hadn't started. You know, how am I going to get away from this one? You know, you're very um, you, you, you're you're talkative, but yet you're economical with what you say. I mean, is whereas I I can literally some people have to drag me away from conversations. <laughs> like, all right, I think you've had enough there, Hanrahan. Like, come away. You're um. So what? How how does this work then when you get on the on the mic, Andrew? How much of that is natural versus how much of, do you have to actually produce like an alter ego to, to to perform the way you do on a Saturday? Yeah, that's um that's a good question. I think um I'm the normally kind of introverted really. I'm always I'm you know I'm very I just, I'm very happy to speak to people, but I'm not terribly likely at any given party to be starting off the conversation um if if people come and engage with me great um if people you know um if they expect me to make the first move then that for whatever reason that just doesn't come actually so um and there are there are sort of a subspecies of of people in radio like us for, for whatever reason um where we're kind of built in a completely opposite way to to normal humanity where you put a microphone in front of us and for whatever reason, whether it's like, you know, the fact you're sort of performing a role or you're, you're a bit of an audience that um, it's perhaps easier almost for us to kind of um, be ourselves and let it come out. So, I, so you know, I guess you get I guess you get a bit of a kind of um, meet plus, but I would I don't think it's um, I don't think it's a, it's an act, if you see what I mean. Or I, I don't think it's something I kind of have to have to build up. It's just um Whatever, whatever reason, it's it's a kind of environment where I'm kind of expressing myself and letting go. And the, the rationale for that, I can't, I can't explain. But that just that just appears to be how I'm built. So they... Well, it's it's and look, listen, it's a, you know, you know, without getting too spiritual about it, I'm, I'm a big believer in like people having God-given gifts. I just think there are some things that just naturally we're hardwired to you know to be able to do. Um, you know, and I think. Um, as I say, I, I think it's massive, massive credit to you that you're you're able to do that in such a an eloquent, fluid, um, sort of natural way, and talk at at length in such if using such wonderful tone and description, without sort of essentially feeling like oh, you're you're really either over egging the omelette or just loading things up with hyperbole. You know, it just it it it, it you know it just happens, and because. It, the, the, I mean, I don't, you know, you, you think about the terms verbal diarrhea, that's something that people will apply to me. And, <laughs> but I wouldn't apply, I genuinely would not apply that to you, both in a professional and a, and a, and a, and, you know, and a personal, um, on, a, on a personal level. Um, but you're, so you're, so going back to your Swindon journey, then, mm. so you've been a Swindon, so you're Swindon fan ultimately through your parents who are obviously Swindonian. Yeah. Um, you you now if i've done my research correctly you came back you came into the swindon sort of sphere in terms of the commentary and the football mm. sphere back in around not the 2013 so would that have been sort of just after chris wise's departure yeah yeah yes i think so um i should um i should i no idea if he's listening or not but i should also um mention for my swindon spotting a good friend of mine steve kasmar because he was living in the same sorry backwater that i was and i saw him in the pub one evening in a swindon shirt and that helped to get me into a lot more games so um <laughs> and um we still we still text each other in despair about you know, um, 30 years later or whatever it is so um 
Steve, Steve deserves a mention. And now I forgot. And now, as a terrible interviewee rather than interviewer, I've forgotten the second part of your question. So what was that? No, 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 not at all. So I was saying, so basically, um, so around that sort of era, just prior to you joining, I'd yeah. been involved with the likes of Chris and the likes of Ed Hadwin, doing a little bit, um, mainly around the London games, because I was a bit like with Cadiz when you go north. It, I, was, mm. I was just a convenient person for them in and around the M25. But um, the thing that people probably don't know much about you, and which was actually lovingly fed into my direct messages by a few fans from the South Coast. Oh, that, yes, yeah, that was. Yeah, yeah bless you, them. You, you have got quite a following, quite a cult following down at Brighton and Hove Albion, have you not? Um, yeah, of, of all things, because I, uh, my sort of big, my big kind of break, as it were, was um, getting promoted from doing a Woking to doing uh, Brighton at the, the kind of radio station um, down there, which I absolutely was not remotely ready for at the time, but they still let me do it, and I still kind of got the experience. And I, I guess, I guess eventually, um, I kind of won them over. So I did that. I did that for a, a quite a long time, really. So, so that that kind of got me. But yeah, I think I think on the kind of swim thing, I think Chris Wise had gone. I just stopped doing uh, Bournemouth because I'd kind of gone on from Bright to Bournemouth. Uh, basically, Bournemouth had got into the the championship and Radio Solent who were there were just kind of re retweaking it. And I kind of did it on a fairly sort of casual basis for them. And they wanted they wanted to change things. They wanted to change things around. So I was kind of I was out of Bournemouth. I didn't, didn't think it was because um, I was terrible. Um, uh, you know the, the kind of editor said some very nice stuff. It's just like staffing and all the all the rest. And then as if by magic, Chris Wise disappears. And I think. Um, I don't know whether it's like Adam, who is the, the sort of sports editor for, for Radio Solo, which is the, I should say, the kind of radio station for Southampton, Bournemouth and Portsmouth, the, the BBC one, um, put in a word, because I, I didn't, I've never kind of hidden my Swindon tendencies. I, I always kind of figured for, it was just much easier to say, this is my team, especially when there was no kind of big, um, big rivalry between Brighton and Swindon at the time. It's just like, get it out there, get it done. People, people know where you are, people know who you are, and they can... They can kind of judge you um, appropriately, and yeah. uh, we were, and then we won't mention the most infamous Brighton Swindon games because um, we'll never. <laughs> some, some of us will never, never truly recover from those uh, those well, occasions whatsoever. Well, listen, I I was uh, I was sent a lovely message from a chap called the Dicker who said to tell you um, that you still have a um, you're really still very fondly regarded. Um, down on the south coast, that a lot of um, you, you obviously made a lot of friends um, in and around that football club at the time, um, and they said to pass you their kindest regards. Oh, that's and, that, uh, that's very sweet. No, they were. It was kind of when they were on the on the up, but they sort of you know they just kind of got back into Sussex and and with Dean and and with Dean was kind of um, as we all know, sort of kind of um, um, it should it should never have been a football league ground really in terms of um, in terms of what it could offer, but it got it got Brighton back into Brighton, it served its purpose and they kind of started to build and, and so you know you kind of cover a couple of promotions for them and then you sort of get associated with it and I you know I was pretty I was a pretty ambitious I was pretty kind of dedicated to you know to wanting to make sure to you club because you know um, whatever all our memories are of, of Brighton you look where they are and now and they've even when they were you know down at down in what's league two now you'd always get you'd always get like a serious traveling support from brighton and i'm sure you remember that one someone playing them in league in the kind of league one or, or whatever so you, you kind of knew it was a it was a big club and you knew it was like a it was a kind of um 
say a serious club to cover that implies that some aren't but you know but it, but there was obviously you know if you if it could get going there was some kind of you know potential there for it to it sort of really progress and you know i did some like season in the, in the championship there and you know suddenly to go from having been a you know macclesfield or whatever two seasons ago and then you're you know you're knocking around at um, ipswich and and so on so that was that, that was kind of ultimately a, a great experience to do well, I, 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 what I was delighted to learn about, I know you said you didn't want to talk about the game, but am I right in understanding you declined to commentate on that infamous play I, semi-final second leg? I uh, declined to commentate on the first and second legs. Good actually. on you. Um, Good on you, buddy. <laughs> and, well, I'm, I'm sure the I'm sure the various Brightonians won't be too long, but um, I don't I think I regret that. I don't think I don't think I regret that at all. To be honest, kind of putting. My club loyalties first. That once I done, I done like the normal, the normal league games. That was fine, and I don't think anyone. No, I didn't think anyone complained. But it, you know, it was kind of, you know, everyone, everyone sort of knew where I stood and kind of took it with, to the good humour. I put on, you know, I put on a suitably professional, you know, performance in the days when when James Milner was briefly running riot for Swindon. But the, I thought playoff games would be too much. I think the way they probably ended would have. Would have done for me. Although I think, um, I think having to go and interview Mark McGee after the second leg, I think he may. Yeah, I think if he'd had any kind of large available implement with which to remove me from the dressing room within about two minutes, he would have done. <laughs> well, listen. I mean, I'm sure that that is a story that not a lot of Swindon fans will be aware of. The fact that you actually, whilst that was your job, your your club loyalties absolutely came to the fore, and you declined to commentate on arguably what was obviously clearly for them a huge yeah. for them and a massive but, massive but no, turning point in their club as well uh, so I, point in their history yeah i wasn't sure i could kind of quite do it justice and i i think from the i think the, like the listeners perception might have bit then in the playoffs so it's like league league games was was one thing but playoffs was another so so you know maybe i should have shown up and never said who i supported at all but you know, I have done that years ago, so there was no, there was no kind of hiding. And like, like I said, there's, you know, there's no, no kind of history between the clubs. It's not, you know, it's not like I was a closet palace fan. No, 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 absolutely not. Well, listen, all it does is it just cements our affection for you even further. So I just wanted to make sure that our our Swindon following are aware of that. And the oh, well, well pass on, pass on my regards to the the Brightonians, Southern women. You know, in no way jealous of my successor, who's yeah. touring around the best grounds <laughs> in the country. No, I will. I will say seriously. I, I genuinely, I promise you, all, I would not swap. I definitely would not swap. Ah, uh, oh, bless you. Well, that's what we like to hear. So, do you with with, with so with Mike in hand then for you know with obviously. Um, you 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 come at, you you're now at BBC Radio BBC Radio Wilshire BBC Radio Swindon. You're you've got the mic in your hand. Do you remember your first game commentating on Swindon? Do you remember how you felt? And was that a strange feeling for you, sort of commentating over the club you love? Yeah, no, I did. Um, I think I did. I did like a couple of fill-in ones. Um, for before I was like, I did. Um, I think I did Stockport away time, and I think I did MK. Dom's away as well, just when for whatever reason no one else could could do it. So those those were kind of fun, and the, but those those were two sort of one off. So I never thought I was going to kind of do it regularly. Um, I'm not sure I quite realised what I'd sort of taken on when I because obviously I said you know as soon as Sean got in touch I said um, yes of course I'd like to do Swindon regularly. Um, you know, um, and the thing went on here. Um, so the, the first one I did kind of as a as a 
sort of um, quite full time, so to speak. I think it was like Shrewsbury away early, just after Mark Cooper had taken over. I did it with Tom Jones. It wasn't a very exciting game. Uh, I think Adam Reach scored, and Shrewsbury won fairly comfortably. And I was I was kind of out of practice because I'd not because it was like the season just after I finished doing Bournemouth, so I hadn't kind of done any games for to May. So I was a bit rusty. I was a bit too understated, I think, and. Um, the basic reaction was this guy's going to send us to sleep. So, um, oh. so I do, I do, I do remember that. I, I guess, you know, I guess I'll wake up eventually. Well, I'm, I'm hoping that you may, I don't know if you were paying any attention at all to our, our listener uh, list, Andrew, but just to your right there, you've got the enigmatic Vic Morgan listening. Oh, yes. I am, I am sure. I mean, I was, I was hoping, I'm hoping Vic is going to um, send a request to come on and speak because I was going to ask him to do a bit of a comparison as to what, does he remember his first sort of commentary adventure and try and juxtapose it with yours. But um, I appreciate he's also, he's got a fair bit on this evening. So he's promised me his ears, but he can't necessarily uh, jump on and um, and share his dulcet tones. But um, if, if we do get requested, that Vic is what I'm going to be asking you about. So do you, um, going going back to sort of, you've now got the, the, the mic in your hand, you've got a rough idea. Mm. Of your, how... Was it a natural thing for you to sort of manage manage bias? Because I know local radio, clearly you can be far more partisan than you can be when you're on national BBC radio. Um, and But equally, I understand that, you know, probably because of, um, you know, what, what TalkSport have really led the way with in terms of kind of putting your colours out there, you know, sort of proudly proclaiming who you support. There has been a sort of shift in that culture. But back, back then, that... Oh. I remember that very much wasn't the case. What, was that just a natural thing? Because you were on the local radio, you could essentially be that little bit more sort of um, sort of enthusiastic, quite clearly partisan. Or was that something you felt you had to police? Um, I I think I kind of see the see the job without you know that's sort of getting too pretentious or whatever about it. Is um I'm sort of there to look at things from a Swindon perspective, but I'm not meant. I'm not meant to have kind of rose-tinted glasses about how it is, or or what they're doing, or you know. Um, I think I think it makes it makes kind of sense to be a little bit, you know, less dramatic about it when the opposition score without totally downplaying the importance of the moment, because um, you know you have to you have to kind of raise your voice and indicate it's a dramatic moment, otherwise whoever's listening to you and washing their car won't notice the the opposition at school which is kind of important so um so i i think my my job is to sort of look at things through a swindon lens without kind of being utterly sort of myopic about it really i suppose the i suppose the one thing you have to perhaps check a bit is um because you feel um if i say if i say part of the family that's a bit you know um but you know if because you feel it, it's sort of your team i think i think it's probably eve it's a, there's a bit more danger of you kind of letting out that frustration and possibly being kind of um over critical because you're just fed up you know the, you know they're losing to another you know, they can't get you know they can't they can't string passes together and all that and really kind of letting rip so i, I think that's probably where i kind of I had moderated a bit and look at sort of um, is the criticism I'm making or is or the kind of points which I raise justified rather than 
by just getting this out of my system because I'm totally fed up. I completely get that. And that ties in quite nicely with a question from um, from Daz. Um, Andrew, if you don't mind, field off. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll ask this on his behalf. Um, he was saying, obviously, as a, as a Swindon supporter, like, how do you, how do you, you know, do you ever feel the urge to want to stand there? And um, I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing his question here, but actually, <laughs> lam- lambast a player who you know is having an absolute shocker um, and putting that out on the mic. Like, appreciate you, you will understand there, were, there is an obvious professional boundary. Mm. But do you ever feel that temptation to just say, oh, look, here he goes again. He's having an absolute mare. Or, you know, how <laughs> How, because clearly you, you've got this part of you that is is a Swindon fan. You're just like us. You've got the same sort of, you know, away from the mic. You've got the same sort of, you know, drive, enthusiasms, insights as us. Um, do, do you ever feel that urge? Do you, do you... Um, it doesn't happen too often, but I think it's probably useful that there's not a webcam on me because I'm sure occasionally you'd see like rolled eyes or a mouthed expression silently into the microphone that would not be possible just just every every now and then but then so um so that that kind of gets out of the system but i think i think there is some sort of weird part of me that clicks in and then and then when i've kind of shut it all down at about six o'clock i might turn around over next to me and go jeez what and what the you know so and so was that really see see you put a microphone in front of me and i'm not swearing which normally i would have done at that yeah, point so totally so that, there you go the training kicks in i'm afraid well mike's mike's sent me a direct message as well and has asked what what happens between games for you Andrew so from a from clearly yeah Swindon we're, we're once or twice a week if we're lucky mm. in terms of the match day action how how do you go about filling you know what fills your professional your professional life in between your duties on the mic all right um well I should say this um this is not actually my kind of main job so this is um this is uh kind of uh, the loveliest side hustle if you like you can imagine <laughs> um, really, so my my main job is mainly kind of um, producing and editing video sports news, but because um, I work some very weird hours, so I work I work nights quite a lot. So um, in compensation for that, I get quite a few days off. So that's how I kind of put it all um, put it all together. Really, so that obviously takes up a fair bit of my time. Um, I do the odd kind of uh, small freelance thing for. Uh, Sky in their their sort of radio bit because um, when if you sort of hear the news on whatever your sort of um, I can't even remember if it's called GW or not or whatever they call it. it I presume it must be hard these days or whatever. But um, so sort of at nine or ten o'clock at night, Sky will you know Sky will kind of supply a radio bulletin that goes to all the independent local stations and uh, they put that together and there's a kind of sports bit of that. I sometimes do that, and uh, occasionally I get to do a bit of tennis commentary, which is tremendous fun and completely different. Yeah, because I understand that you absolutely love tennis, and that's why it's very, very close to your heart. Is that the overing in the omelette, or have I got um, I, I would say tennis is very much my my second sport. Yeah, no, no, I, no tennis is a, a great thing, and like, and um, from the professional point of view, commentate on that is just so totally different from I do football, be it sort of radio or. Or TV stuff, but yeah, no, no. If I was going to list things, I'd probably put football, tennis, and I've acquired a weird interest in baseball as well. So those, <laughs> those, would, those would probably be my top three. Nothing, nothing wrong with baseball. Go Tigers! 
But uh, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole with you because we'll be here all night talking <laughs> baseball. But um, so from from a tennis point of view, is that is that taking you to Wimbledon and commentary on Wimbledon? It must. I mean, I would imagine so, given itself big champions. Uh, I, I I wish, sadly not. It's um it's very much it's generally been kind of the the sort of smaller events, really those kind of week to week events that kind of keep the tour going. And it's um especially in COVID times, it's quite often sort of remote. So you'll be in a You'll be in a studio. You've, you've very rarely been on site. Sadly, I've only been to uh, to Wimbledon as a paying spectator, which is an experience I can highly recommend. But uh, that's that's kind of left on my ambition list to try and uh, uh, find like that. So uh, very very weirdly, this is the tangent of the main. Just no one but me. But I'm going to say um, when I did student radio, Russell Fuller, who's the BBC radio tennis correspondent, that was kind of the the year above us, and he was like the holy grail. We'll, up to and he was like oh my lord oh my lord if we you know if we can be half as good as him we'll get a professional career so it's kind of um it's pretty gratifying to see see how well he's done well i've got i'll, I'll tell you what one of my interesting baseball stories so in my heyday of, definitely uh, when i was when i was working at 442 towers um for anyone that's met me they'll know that i'm follically challenged and i um nothing wrong with that <laughs> yeah. there's no moss grows on a well-trodden path andrew as i like to tell people but uh and what was it someone said to me this week um, you don't thatch an empty cottage. That makes me feel better about life. <laughs> I shall I shall save that for future years. Yeah, please yeah, keep that one in your armory. But uh, yeah, I was I was lucky enough to be uh, invited along to um, go and see the Bronx Bombers. So I was watching the New York Yankees, and uh, a friend of uh, the editor of Four Four Two back in the t- uh, back in the day, Hugh Slight, uh, was the scoreboard operator, um, and he's I think it was his brother was the announcer. Um, All right. Okay. Yeah, so there we are, and he said, "Yep, uh, bottom of the ninth." Uh, and and Hugh nodded and started laughing, and I said, "What's going on, bottom of the ninth? He said, "Oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it." So I didn't think much more of it. I'm blown away by the incredible spectacle that's going on around you at Pat Yankee Stadium. Yanks were uh, absolutely flying; the crowd were buzzing, and then there's this little lull at the bottom of the ninth, and uh, it went something along the lines of. Ladies and gentlemen, the New York Yankees would like to welcome our guest from the United Kingdom, uh, Hugh Slice, editor of 442, and his good friend, Bald Hammers. <laughs> oh, Christ. There, was one, there was this wonderful ripple of applause that went around the stadium. And uh, Hugh's sitting there wetting himself laughing, but uh, that's, that story doesn't get enough, enough of an airing. But um, I'm very yeah. glad to give you an excuse to tell her. That's dramatic. Yeah, no, well, I'm, I'm pleased you do. So there's my claim to fame when it comes to baseball. I was, I was announced on the pitch as bald hammers. And, and, <laughs> and there was, it was my birthday last week, and there was a similar incident that went off whilst I was uh, taken to the front of the town end by my kids, and I realised they were all filming. I was like, "What's going on here?" And yeah, something similar happened. Let's just then let's just leave it there. But um, <laughs> so thank you. There, yeah. Uh, Pitchside, uh, Pitchside uh, announcers and me have got a checkered, a checkered history. But getting getting back to you, Andrew. Getting back to you. So tell so tell the match day experience for you. Mm. I think what 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 gets lost on a lot of people is clearly how much of your your day and i mentioned at the start about you know you've got many a fable and and many an adventure sort of tied into what it is that you do and it involves a lot of technology um, it involves a lot of liaising backwards and forwards to you know um, where the studios are um in swindon and obviously you're working remotely that in itself brings its own pitfalls um you've got um you've got a myriad of things going on in your ear whilst you're trying to describe things that are going on in front of you etc but 
right the way down to even like you know preparing oh. for, a, for a commentary what what is your typical match day look like in 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 andrew hall's land what what to, to sort of describe it to the, uh, let's just say a you know a i wouldn't say a run-of-the-mill game but you know, one where it's not necessarily a Man City, but you, yeah. you, you, you still, you know, you don't, you know, you've got to bring. Not that you don't bring your A game, but you know, you know, there, there's a little bit of pressure on. What, what's your typical match day look like? How's, where would you start? Um, well, I suppose um, if you kind of go back to the, the sort of prep bit, that's I will ideally have certainly kind of done that, or at least like the by the latest Spurs Saturday game, kind of by the by the Friday, I'd not like leave it to the. The day itself, and then be then be kind of scrambling around. Um, it so. And what does that look like, Andrew? Is that a typical kind of Clive Tilsley sort of chart? Do you follow um, on that or? Yeah, well, I've I've got kind of two things. One of which I think is fairly commonplace. So um, I'll make sure I've got a, like I'll do a little kind of biography of um each of the opposition and the you know so probably like the the eighteen they've had in the last game maybe one or two if they're like coming back from injury or whatever so you know if you've gone onto the the Tranmere website where I haven't seen X is out injured X is back so you so you might add them so I'll there's not necessarily a lot in those they'll they'll mainly kind of be the sort of clubs where they're at if they won promotion I might try and figure out if you know if they've played alongside any of the the Swindon players in their in their career, so I'm, or if they've got any like good weird stories about them, so you know, God, God, God bless Wikipedia, everyone. Um, so, so I'll try and do that. And the other, the other thing I've got is which people get totally bewildered by, and I'm, you know, I'll sort of stick on Twitter for is I've, I kind of each sort of after each set of games, I have a kind of a grid I use, a bit like um, in the Rothmans football yearbook, for which I can date myself to back in the day. So I've got like all the Swindon players when they appeared, uh, games games they kind of scored in, because I can't remember all that stuff off the top of my head anymore because I'm too old. So so I've kind of I've so if we're on a good day, I've got all that. I've got my I've got my plastic folder with my sheets in. So um, I'm kind of hopefully prepared for whatever statistical quirks that that people can. Throw at me. So, um, so on a good day, when you remember to get it right, it's like when Harry McCurdy scored four, um, and partly because I cocked out once before, I could remember that the last player to score four goals was James Collins before that in Tyler's first game. There you go. Um, so, so hopefully I've got all that ready, and then uh, I'm I get to places neurotically early. I would say so. Um, even like for a home game and stuff like that, I'm. I quite often find myself kind of at the ground about half twelve, quarter one, um, just because dodge, dodge, dodge that dodgy Hanrahan fella hanging around the burger van. Well, with his, with, his, with, his, with his with his merry band of children. There's a there's a there's a whole bunch there's a whole bunch of um, figures you run the the gamut of. I mean that I mean that in a good way. I've been I've been accosted by Phil many times. I can. And I, I quite enjoy it, a strange way. Um, so, who else is having this? But this is actually, this is kind of part of the part of the charm of it, especially at home games, that if you're there early, you, you do see those same sort of um, characters around. So I'm going to go off a tangent. It's like when I, when I go to away games, so occasionally, you know, I was doing Brighton or whatever, you know, there's like free Tuesday I go to, you know, so, you know, Brighton will be playing on a Wednesday and a Sunday on a Tuesday, I might go and, Watch, especially for away games, you'd like to see those same sort of um, figures, and this, this is terrible because I can never remember the names. I, 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 
something always very comforting about seeing the two the two elderly ladies who were festooned in badges. I'm sure people know who I mean. I can't. I don't think I ever found out their names. Yeah, I don't think they're they're with us sadly, but um, yeah. It's all, so if you go to the home game early, they're like it's kind of there's something quite reassuring about seeing these people that you see every every week or ten days ago. But I do get there neurotically early, so I'm and you know so I'll. So I'll probably go into like the little sort of press room bit. It tends to be just sort of um, the legendary Marion there who looks after the press. So uh, have a coffee, have a bit of a chat with her. Right, now uh, a second. Talk, talk to me about this bit, because you just mentioned that word mm. coffee. Now, obviously, Andrew, we're, um, we're all human beings, right? Mm. You, you, you're, you're on the mic for quite a long time. You're, yeah. You're, you Surely, what, there are performance benefits from you know what you what you put into your body in terms of the ability to speak. <laughs> not with my diet generally no <laughs> well, so i mean me personally i you know before we do these shows even if it's you know a later start oh well I'm, i think most people that follow me on twitter know that i get through quite a lot of coffee but um what do you do i mean are you really loading up before a game on the caffeine is that a prerequisite for you um it it does i think it does, it does kind of help just because um my God, this is very, we're getting to very bizarre territory. But I'm terrible. I'm terrible at like having breakfast. Breakfast is something I like struggle with. So I quite often like get up and drive to an away game and not really have eaten anything. So there's kind of um so I should I should actually kind of eat more and be more disciplined about it. So coffee so coffee kind of does sustain me. Energy drinks of various kinds can sustain me as well. But the obvious problem with having something fizzy just before you start speaking on a radio microphone, I'm sure that's uh, that, that's not too difficult to put together, which I did learn at my cost for the Brighton game. So, well, um, well, well, but there's also a flip side to that conversation as well. Without getting too graphic, you're you're in a you're in a place um, where you're, you're having the sort of it's not like you can just down tools and, and disappear yeah. for five minutes like I might if I've had that extra pint of Guinness before kickoff. So, what what do you? How do you? I mean, it, it, I guess on one hand, I'm saying that you know, are you loading up on coffee because you know it. it kind of helps with your with your mental alertness and and your and your verbal delivery but it, it obviously has a detrimental effect in other areas as well do yeah yeah no um have you, have you, have, what i'm trying to politely say andrew is and i think the crowd just want me to ask you straight have you ever been caught short um i've been i've been close i've definitely i've definitely been close there have been those odd there have been those odd occasions certainly where i've not been happy to see five minutes of first half additional time put up um that's that's for sure but luckily your luckily your kind of brain is has got to sort of spend 95 percent of its energy on on working out who's got the ball and and who they're crossing it to and all the rest so you um, you kind of survive, but I'm I'm sure very occasionally I have been seen bolting from my position at half time, possibly climbing over one or two people to their shop when they're trying to do their half time report and uh, get it. But it's it's not it's not happened it's not happened yet. But um, who knows if I'm if I'm still going at a certain age, then then perhaps it's almost inevitable. <laughs> Well, you, you also mentioned getting to the ground neurotically early, which yeah. kind of answers the next point I was going to ask you about is there, there are obvious travel hazards. Now, for me, I, I it's, it's part and parcel of my supporting Swindon Town. I live on the London-Kent border and I I have to essentially come round the M25. I have to go down the M3. Then I have to cut across Bracknell. 
I don't have to pick up the the, the M4. I know it well. I know it well. Yeah, and I think my my record actually, I broke in pre-season against Peterborough. As people will testify again, anyone that sort of follows me of any kind of remote interest will remember me posting the fact that it took me seven hours to get from home. Oh my to, god! Yeah, which involved me missing um, half half of a pre-season friendly. Um, which that my good friends of the Great Western Reds uh, made a lot more um, a lot more palatable with various introductions after the game to certain Australian luminaries, Mister um, oh, yes. Garner himself and uh, and all and and half the playing staff. But yeah, I mean, but get, get sort of spinning that back to you, Andrew. That that obviously has a very obvious professional impact as well. Now, does your neurotic travel habits prevent? Have, have you ever have you ever been sort of caught out in terms of trying to get to it, whether that be a, a you know something unpleasant on a motorway that's prevented you from getting there or is there how, how how would you go about sort of getting over that hurdle like literally you cannot be there at the ground at the mic because of how things be yeah. out of control how, um, how do you do that uh well like i said i probably i'd probably kind of add an extra two hours on to whatever the the official journey time is on the uh on the map and you know you're you're kind of you're pretty lucky because Saturday motorways aren't too too bad but um I remember when we came back to to Brighton again I did I did burst a tire and arrive for a game against Shrewsbury at seven minutes past three which wasn't wasn't the best but it's kind of um and well the problem was the spare was stuffed as well in the in the car which was never a, a great thing so it was kind of go off go off find a tire and it's just like you're You'll get, you know, you'll gradually, you're gradually frying because you know time is ticking on. You know, gay meadow is waiting for no man. They're gonna be, they're gonna be kicking off. But people, <laughs> actually, but people were kind of, people were kind of fine about it because I, I think they kind of, they generally know it. It sort of takes something pretty extreme for me not to, not to be there on time. But you know, you know, that's the trouble. You know, you never quite know. There could be a dreadful accident. And just, you know, it, uh, it takes its course. So, have you got a recollection of a day when you you literally had your absolute worst case scenario? Have you ever had a day like that where everything that could have gone wrong? Um, wrong? Yeah. So, um, it was uh, Milton Keynes away. Uh, Dave Hockaday was doing the co-commentary. Um, I think it was fine. I think I think got there a bit later than usual, but for no reason. But it it's one of those where it's where a kind of anxiety dream you have comes to life which um i'm sure vic will, will register in that whatever i try to do with the kit changing the kit the, the sort of broadcast piece of kit we get it just would not function um basically it has um it's a kind of little sort of mixing desk in it and you know you can broadcast when you have a red light on it and a green light on it they both they both come on and the red light would come on green light would come on all would look fine and stephen back at pace just could not hear us and in the end we could not we could not get it to work it is that it literally has been the sort of anxiety dream i'd have that i'd i kind of wake up and i'd hear someone else doing a game on air that i was meant to do or I I kind of wake up. I was doing a commentary. I'd look down, and those two lights would be out, and I couldn't get them side. And that I mean that that was it. And in the and in the end, we um I think I think uh, you you were given the delights of um, BBC Three Counties as they are. So um yes, sounding no, sounding, no, sounding no, particularly no. sounding particularly pleased when Kieran Agard scored, which the, the rest yes. of us were. And, 
I remember the game very well, in fact. And, I, and funny enough, I remember being with um, the first time I commentated was a grip, uh, sorry, summarise rather, was with Ed Hadwin at Griffin Park. Mm. And I remember Ed turning to me and saying, this is the moment. And it literally is waiting for those lights to come on. And then I remember <laughs> looking at me and just smiling and going, don't worry, Hammerhand, you're, you're going to get your big day today. Yeah, and no, like, that's... Thank goodness. And then, and then off and away we went. So, Vic, Vic you've, you've very kindly joined us at this stage. Hopefully you'll um, uh, you'll be able to jump on. Do you, do you, uh, do you reflect on what Andrew's saying with any particular uh, thoughts of your own? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, hi Andrew, nice to see you again. And uh, hi, Rick. Hope you're good. Hi. Yeah, all right. Still real tiny. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also uh, to Tyler because uh, I met Tyler last night up there. So yeah, um, yeah, very much so. The story is all the same. You know, your main thing is to get to the ground as early as possible, connect, and that awful moment when it doesn't connect. I remember going to Ipswich once, and that was in the days when you didn't have ISDN lines. You had a music line. Uh, which was put in by uh, a BT, got there, uh, tested the line out. It was great. Went and got a cup of tea. Uh, the, the line had been taken out by BT. And then we had to spend 25 minutes trying to sort the line out. So there's that awful moment when, uh, you know, it doesn't work and you're panicking. Simple as that, really. Yeah, no, no I, th I think that's one other one where... At, um, at Hartlepool, of all places, for Hartlepool v Brighton on a Tuesday night, I think I just ended up commentating down a phone. It's, it sounded like it was like Hugh John's of Mexico 1970. It, was, it gave it a very strange, a very kind of strange and surreal sound. But um, sort of, we sort of got away with it, I think, that once. Yeah, I think uh, the one thing I, I would say to Andrew is last season, I mean, I did a couple of games last season and it was a strange, strange atmosphere. Nobody in the ground. I, I was there for the extra... Swindon game in the EFL trophy, if you remember, Andrew. And we didn't even get team sheets because people weren't allowed to come anywhere near you, were they? And it was just a bizarre experience because that year must have been one of the strangest of your life, I would think. Um, yeah, goodness knows in, in so many in so many ways the way it unfolded. I, I, I think you kind of, it was very weird. You sort of slowly, it's a weirdly adaptable, I guess. I did sort of slowly adjust to the fact that there weren't people there. There weren't. There weren't fans there. Um, it, it does, you know, apart from apart from the thing, it does the commentary irreparable damage because the crowd kind of the crowd sort of really helped punctuate the whole match for you. So, um, you know, if say you're, you know, say your summarizer is just finishing a point, you can hear the crowd going. It's like you already you already know that something interesting is going on before before one of us has picked up. So you you kind of lost that. You lost that sort of. Um, atmosphere you lost the kind of whole emotion of it and you just ended up sort of micro well the whole emotion of it, apart from Brett Pittman I think being caught swearing at the Rochdale game after he got taken off um I think I should pick that up on our mic um but um but you yeah you just kind of got sort of or well, you ended up kind of getting kind of micro absorbed I suppose in the in the game itself and you know last season you couldn't really kind of work out quite um what the idea was, which um, made that even so, more difficult. Yeah, is 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 a question for both of you, good gentlemen. So I've obviously we've been doing this show now for I think we're on. I mean, Tyler, you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we're we're a month old now. But we're um we're certainly 
technology is a wonderful part of our lives and we're, we all lean on it and enjoy it and so on and so forth. And you don't realise just how much you do until it all suddenly goes wrong. And I mean, Tyler and I cooked up the idea of just putting this show out there pretty much on a whim. Um, I hadn't planned, you know, to, to, you know, to start doing this. And I don't think certainly Tyler had. I'd, I'd had people nagging me for a number of years saying, oh, your, your voice it sounds like you could do something on radio. And I always sort of poo-pooed it because I was involved in more the commercial side of media. But um, when when we started rolling the show out, I'd been invited onto Alexi Lailas's um, very good space, actually, his Lonely Hearts Football Club. And uh, it was just before the City game. And I couldn't, I, you know, I, I was blown away by just how simple the, the, the tech was. Um, I mean, Vic, you'll recall the first time I was so excited when we got you on, on the show for the first time. I think it was our transfer deadline show. Um, but yeah, I mean, when the tech breaks down, it's absolutely sort of, you know, infuriating. Um, you, whilst I'm not doing this to make money or build a reputation as such, you, you still kind of care that, hang on a second, I've, I've got a good few hundred people here that are relying on us actually putting on a show and entertaining them for a few hours. And then literally... All I've got is it cutting out and there's issues between trying to get Tyler and I. Now, I've thankfully, ironed a lot of those issues out. But I guess what I'm kind of leading to here is, Vic, do you, you've obviously been involved with commentary over a very, very long period of time. With the changing technology that, that Andrew is dealing with now, and we talked about ISDN lines and we talked previously about BT lines. Do, do you think that the, 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 the problem still exists that you... Has tech become more reliable, I guess, is what I'm trying to say? Or do you still have squeaky bum time, do you feel? Well, d definitely. I remember one famous occasion at, at um, Dagenham. Um, uh, Thomas DeSevi uh, scored. you might remember him? Or was it oh, yes. I can't remember. <laughs> As Phil King used to call him. Uh, he, he scored in the first minute and our ISDN line had gone down. And, of course, missed the goal. And I always remember at the Town End Forum, I got a dreadful slating. And uh, I just kind of... <laughs> It's not my fault. The line went down. I didn't, you know, and it is that moment when you see there are the two lights, Andrew, aren't there? There's the green yeah. light and the red light. The red light comes on first and then you want the green light to come on because you mean that, that that's the moment when the line is secure. And that's always a very good moment. But even then, sometimes ISDN one of those, has one of those moments where it goes, do you know what? This is a bit loud. I'm going to switch off. And the whole thing just cuts out. And you'll get that on Radio 5 occasionally. So it happens, you know, on national radio too. And, you know, when you're presenting a radio programme, not necessarily doing a football commentary, you get all sorts of technical issues crop up. And, you know, in the business, they call it finger trouble if you press the wrong fader or you do this, that or the other. And, you know, it, yeah, technical problems are the bane of anybody's life. Because if you have one... As you will know with this, Hannah's, if you have one, you're consciously thinking of it all the time and oh, thinking, yeah. is the yeah. line going to stay up? And if the line doesn't stay up, you're then panicking because you're, you're thinking, well, everybody will go away. You know, they, they won't bother then. Um, but luckily, they stay with you. And, that, and then I had an example on Saturday afternoon where I was doing Swindon versus Exeter for... for um, BBC Radio Devon, which was an interesting experience. And uh, they had a commentary of the Exeter Chiefs against Wasps and their line went down. So I had to introduce the fact that the, the line had gone down at, at Sandy Park and take over the commentary for the football and include the scores for the rugby as well at the same time. So it happens all the time. And it is, Andrew, one of those horrible moments, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, no they, they, yes, there's 
there's probably a whole small community of us that are kind of obsessed with red and green lights, as you can. Um, as you can probably, I, I think, I think actually the ISDN, the ISDN lines, um, which which we kind of use the, the sort of digital the digital lines. I I feel like generally they hold up a bit a bit better than they used to, but I've got a horrible feeling they may be faded out um, fairly soon as kind of internet technology takes all over, and then we may we may be at the worst the mercy of trying to send everything back over the over the web and the, the potential for the chaos that causes because um shouldn't template, but the touch wood the the isdns are are pretty good but, but as vic says um once they kind of once they go down or once they play out you you simply can't do as good a commentary because that's always in the back of your head you're you're suddenly like looking you may not be looking at the game you're suddenly quit looking is the red light and the green light still on are they still on so long. Okay. okay, what's up now? What's up now? It's, like, it's almost like it's like watching the latest instalment of The Matrix. Are we going to go red pill, blue pill? Like, are we going to get this sort of like bizarre? Like you've got people tuning in like wanting Exeter rugby and instead they're listening to Exeter City. So now I, I can see all of that. Vic, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna deliberately try and make you blush, but I'm 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 really chuffed that you've come on at, at this juncture because. Um, I um you you and I had a, an exchange on text earlier today, and I was I was saying to you that. When I when I first sort of essentially started developing my my fascination for all things Swindon Town, one of the really important sort of um, sort of tools in that for anyone that's listening with a slightly older age were these wonderful cassettes that have been um, produced, end of season uh, cassettes that, and I had the um, both of the promotion seasons, so the Division Four where we just completely destroyed everybody, and the Division Three promotion through the playoffs uh, cassette that were then very very reluctantly yet kindly given to me by my my good uncle Rex Hamley uh, who lives in Covingham who I'm sure will enjoy hearing his name uh, over the over the airways but um now do you Andrew from from your perspective obviously Vic, Vic's been around forever and I, mm. I, I I love I'm desperately trying to embarrass Vic but I um Vic for me is very much like the, the, my original voice of Swindon Town it's like I, when I think back to my earliest memories I think of Vic's commentary of Charlie Henry's rocket um, I think of all the, all. I mean, at one point, I listened to those tapes every single day on the way to and from school on my little Walkman. Do you, um, to, to, to what, to what extent did did Vic play a role in your um, sort of uh, your your Swindon journey? As because I'm coming at that from a point of view of both a commentator and a fan. Did you, what what level of inspiration did you pull from Vic's involvement with the club? Um, I. Well, this is this is the kind of thing that again shows you how much technology has changed. Really, um, I've, I didn't hear a great deal of Vic because I wasn't at Swindon very often, to be per- to be perfectly honest. So um, I might kind of catch, um, you know, you know, you kind of switch on the car on the way back and hear hear sort of Vic's post match interview and that. But I've you know, terrible thing to say. I've not necessarily had a massive amount of of Vic's commentary because, you know, um, we go back to the 90s, eh? you can't, you can't, you know, pick up the web and listen to Radio Wiltshire at that, at that point, you have to be in the area. And, I, and generally, unless I'm doing games, I'm not, I'm not there. I do have to thank Vic, I think, for sneaking me in a car, if I remember right, with Jim Proudfoot, so I could get in to see Swindon beat QPR for the first yes. Premier League victory. And that I was, and that, that was well worth, and that was well worth the, the long wait for them to do all the interviews afterwards and give, and finish the trip back. That's for sure. So I certainly owe Vic for seeing Swindon's first ever Premier ever Premier League win. So um, I, I I feel bad that I can't say nice things about Vic's commentary because the bits I hear of it are very good. But well, um, do you know what? Li- but literally, just because of the just because of like the the geography and the, and the techno the, the technology, um, 
Right, uh, sorry, I'll, I'll say one thing. It's like it took me a long time to realise that Dave Mitchell spoke with a big Scottish accent because you just you just didn't you just didn't hear it. You know, you wouldn't you wouldn't hear the interviews for it. It's very true, and I'll tell you what's very interesting. You're talking about you talk about the tech, and and we talk about big sort of legacy and heritage in and around Swindon. The the interesting thing for me as a long distance Swindon fan is exactly what you you've touched on there, Andrew. I mean, whilst you know the the COVID season, bizarrely, I I saw more. Swindon Town football, home and away, because of the, the, the benefits of being able to follow with I follow. Um, my 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 sort of proximity to Swindon has, has, has been aided enormously by um, by the internet. You know, the ability to be able to stream games and radio commentary, the you know, the, the ability on a Tuesday night when I can't get to a game to buy a match pass and just sit down in my lounge with a beer and enjoy the game. I mean, but when I when I think back to being a kid, and I mentioned those tapes and listening to Vic's voice and so, so on and such like, if I used to literally kind of because you would see the big match and match of the day and so forth on, and you, I would just pray. I, I used to sort of say to my parents, why why don't they show like football league matches on the telly? Like, you know, because I was so desperate to see Swindon Town coverage, um, and the so I, I totally get where you're coming from, Andrew. Like the the, the I guess the, the we're bemoaning tech and sort of talking about the pluses and minuses of it. But, you know, even in that COVID era, the ability for technology to have brought us so much closer to our... And so it doesn't just stop with commentary, does it? I mean, the fact that, you know, I'd, I'd met Vic a long time ago. Vic, you, you tell me you're very kind in saying that you remember the day that I came up and said hello to you at Torquay um, when we, we were rolled over by Akin Fenwer and co back in the oh, day. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, but I, I, I very... Um, I, I, you, my, my, more of your and my sort of more frequent content has come about because of obviously social media um, and the benefits that that brings to the fore. And I think we're also blessed in that respect because we've got um, Ian Blessing over in the US that manages to upload clips for us to all enjoy. Um, we've got people that will post co uh, content um, as and when they can live from the game. Even down to my youngest, who's um, decided to, you know, to launch a bit of a spit and sawdust clip uh, clips channel on Twitter. So it's a it's an interesting time from a consumption of Swindon Town, isn't it? From a from a technology point of view, you know, we're not as restricted as we used to be. Um, I, I often sort of ponder whether whether or not I it, it, it helped actually being starved of Swindon content because of location and. The, the era in which I grew up and whether that actually fed my passion for the club. Because I've got to say, as I'm sure you'll probably agree, gentlemen, it wasn't, whilst I was drowned with Swindon Town content and being able to watch games last season, it wasn't exactly great fair to watch, was it? And if, if anything, that's the kind of thing that sort of probably push you away from the club. Well, it's interesting. I remember you talked to Tom, Bra Tom Broadbent the other day about that goal at that stadium and um you know i live in a village in devon and uh, uh, there was a madman at around about 20 past five running around that village in devon <laughs> shouting my head off and you know they're very nice people around here and they understand my passion but they kind of were what on earth's going around here like you know and it's uh you know i have a lot of friends who are ecstasy fans and you you of course andrew were university in exeter weren't you and that's what led oh, to was, yeah 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 that's what led to that lift up to the county go remember it well and uh, you know, that's the point. Technology has been fantastic for us, you know, with the panel of which Andrew is a regular member, you know, being able to do that and keep contact with people throughout the whole of lockdown and all that kind of thing. 
you know, was tremendous and, and did me a lot of good, I have to tell you, um, because we were, in a way, detached from what we wanted to do. And that was going to watch Swindon Town play football, albeit watching it on iFollow and listening to Andrew last year wasn't not for your commentary, obviously, but the whole thing was not the greatest experience in the world, was it? Except for that great, memorable Saturday afternoon in November, which we all remember so fondly. Oh, yeah, that, 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 was a, that was about it. No, I... No, it's very strange. I think, uh, I think for all that was like a, um, a di- you know, a dismal, a dismal season with uh, the manager who gave me some of the most intriguing interview moments that I'm ever going to have to, um, to deal with. Um, I, I guess in a sense, I was, I'm still ridiculously lucky to have been there and kind of experienced it all and and seen it kind of in the, in the flesh. So, you know, I've, I've seen Swindon score at the Kassam Stadium in the flesh, and there are very few town fans who can say that. So, so I'm kind of lucky. I'm lucky from that point of view. And perhaps, perhaps, perhaps I'm not sure I quite appreciated at that at the time because you're in that sort of weekly, that weekly grind of thinking, um, you know, where, where am I going next? What are they doing? What are they playing like? Why are they so bad? Why can't the manager tell me so bad? Well, they're so bad and so on. I mean, Vic, you, you must have really felt for Andrew at times last season because I know yeah. as, as, as a supporter, you know, I, I found those post-match scenarios that Andrew was finding himself in, like, you know, utterly kind of, it was like nails down a blackboard. You know, for a start, there was, you know, from a fan's perspective, there was a perceived um, sort of feeling that, you know, people were ducking coming out to be interviewed. There were times where appreciate the manager was going through, had a lot, had a lot on his plate personally, but there were some inexcusable sort of performances, decisions, things that were happening on the pitch that were almost seen like, you know, fan, there, were, there was a lot of chat amongst the fans, like, you know, this is being done just to wind us up now. Now, I mean, what... What what was going through your mind, Vic, as an experienced sort of commentator, knowing what Andrew was going through on pitch side? Can you remember how you felt at the time? Yeah, I can, because the point is, after a game, you don't know what a mood a manager's going to be in, because it's been a great win, and obviously they're, they're in a brilliant mood, and they're all happy, and, you know, things are going well. But when there's a spell where things are going terribly wrong, then you have to go down and, and, and quiz these people. Uh, you know, Morris Melpass, he gets a lot of stick from town fans, I know. But, you know, we got beaten at Histon in the FA Cup. And terrible afternoon. And I had to interview Morris Melpass after the game and basically say, you know, should you be in this job? You know, that's not something that you really enjoy saying to another person. You know, at the end of the day, they're human beings, aren't they? And... You know, what you had to go through last year, Andrew, with that miserable, miserable season. I can't really think of another way of putting it. I, you know, we suffered every day, every weekend and Tuesday watching it, let alone you had to go through it. And then go and talk to these people afterwards. Yeah, I did. I, I felt really for you because you had a, a really difficult job to do. Yeah, there are, there are, I'll, I'll sort of go, if I can, on, on kind of two different different things. Um Luke Williams gets an incredible amount of, you know, an incredible amount of stick. But I have to say, I think, I think, uh, I think it was after the game where Swindon lost at Bristol Rovers. I think I was fairly, fairly close to um, doing, you know, doing what Vic said then and, and kind of asking, should you, should you kind of be in the job? And for someone who, um, you know, didn't never really had any sort of designs on being the front man, um, I always felt he dealt with that with kind of immense 
immense kind of grace and dignity, really. And he was, you know, he was trying to do the best with his um, tools he had. Um, I, I got on kind of very well with him, so I will, I will kind of defend him as a person a bit, and you know, we'll leave the kind of leave the football stuff. But I, I sort of spoke to him a little bit, and the, the kind of plans he had in terms of the experienced players he wanted to bring in and he couldn't bring in had a different dynamic. But with with John Sheridan, it was kind of um, it was kind of different, not because he was actually kind of unpleasant. I mean, we had a, we had a couple of kind of questions where clearly he didn't appreciate the question, and that's and that's fine. But it was it was just the the point where the the basic purpose, I guess, of the of the interview or the first thing you want to do is um, find out from the manager what they thought of the game and perhaps why it unfolded as they did. And if it didn't go well, why it didn't go well? What did you want it to do? So, so you're trying to find that out and. I could ask him in three different ways and you get a different explanation each time. And I think I just I think that was the the thing I found I found most difficult of all. It's just there wasn't there wasn't any kind of thing you could grab on. I mean even you know, Ben Garner's coming with under some stick at the moment, but at least you get some sort of coherent idea of what the what the concept is, regardless of whether it's working or not. And that that was the thing that I just couldn't kind of um really sort of get to get to grips with and feel like the, the interview served sort of some some kind of purpose really and so i'm you've, you've got me off on one now um but uh, and again going back to the kind of social media by the end um my twitter feed my twitter feed after a game it was i sort of kept messaging so it was just like go get him go after him and that's and that was kind of um that was kind of angry where it were and that's you know i, I didn't complain i didn't complain about that because it was it was sort of really important, especially with no fans in the ground, for telling you know telling telling me just how enraged people were with what they were seeing and what they were doing. But that that was kind of a, a bit weird. It's like pe- people kind of wanted me to go out and deliver his head on a platter, and that was that was a bit of a weird feeling as well, which I've not had before. So, and Andrew, what? So, put, 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 try and put us if you can in your shoes when you're you know, you're face-to-face with, with a manager post-match. Mm. I mean, that's got to be pretty intimidating when, I mean, like you said, I mean, you, you're not saying that Sheridan was a was a total monster. You're not saying that... No, no, absolutely not. The world, but put, 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 put us into how, you know, that feeling of you're stood in front of a manager, let's say after a, another grim defeat, the manager is staring you down, almost mm. kind of like challenging you, like, do you really want to go after me in this interview? Yeah. That's the sort of sense sometimes I get, that that must kind of be the vibe when you're nose to nose, almost gladiatorial. But what um, what sort of, what, what goes through your mind? I mean, is, is there, um, you know, is there this feeling to, you know, almost you know, I, I could really go for your throat here. And how do you avoid, because there are, there are times when I heard you interviewing John Sheridan, for example, where I could tell there was a, a slight change in your tone where he, he would say something almost flippant to you. And you could see that you could sense that you've been a little bit irked. And, and I, I sense there were times where you really actually, you, you, you actually un, un, unloaded on him a little bit. Is that, how do you, how do you deal with, sort of trying to avoid that like a confrontation mm. or an argument how does the commentator do that i think i think the first thing it's and some of this you only get through experience of doing it a lot is you have to try not to um take it personally in the way that look, i would say most of the managers that i've i've dealt with in my time understand it's not necessarily that personal even if you're asking them if you think they're they're up to the job or not which can be more personal but they kind of 
they kind of understand that sometimes that's what you've got to do. So mo- most of, most of them kind of get um, get our role. So I think I think the first challenge is to to think if it goes if it goes a bit off the rails if um if the manager's having a, a dig back at you, um, try and sort of divorce your your kind of personal feelings out of it and keep it keep it on a on a kind of professional professional level really. Um, I suppose you do you do kind of in those sort of few minutes you've got you do kind of try and think about how you'll approach it. You probably I don't know if it will back up with you probably kind of know from a performance what the sort of killer question is really, what everyone's really kind of built up for and waiting for you to to ask. So I think it's some of the kind you, you might sort of think about when when you bring that in. because, um, you know, the the usual my usual sort of Opening gambit. It's pretty. It's pretty kind of neutral, really. So it's like let them get what they want to say out of the game about the way, and then kind of take it from there. But um, it depends. Yeah, especially after a bad performance, there's probably like one or two things you really know that people will want you to pinpoint on. So you're kind of thinking how you sort of work to those when you introduce those, and and, and you know, and maybe maybe kind of how you how you frame it because it's not it's not really in my nature for to come out and kind of go at people and you don't you don't necessarily want to give them an excuse to kind of come back at you as well you what what everyone really wants is for them just to kind of answer the question whatever it is mm. if that makes sense yeah no it does i mean i think it's it's, a, it's an interesting one because whilst obviously the, the organization you work for isn't isn't sort of you know tabloid in orientation mm. it's the it's those kind of the, the sort of challenging i mean it's almost like if you compare for example you know the talk sport approach to radio broadcasting with a five live approach you know the kind of it, it must be very tempting to throw an absolute incendiary question in there to get that explosion because the sensational content typically comes off the back of it, but then with that goes your relationship. So- yeah, no, I, um, I, I would say my aim ideally is, um, you know, uh, not, not everyone wants this. Um, I think if you give me a choice between heat and light, I'd rather get light. If you see what I mean, I'd rather, I'd rather you came away from an interview with a better understanding of what the manager's done, what's gone on. And why he's there than necessarily some kind of um, incendiary moment. I think I think the kind of Tommy Wright one after the Oxford one was was interesting because it was just kind of um, I hope there was sort of enough respect between us that we could kind of just have a you know have a disagreement about or have a you know ex- exchange about what went on and why and perhaps why it wasn't why you could see it's not the best idea and so on and in the in the end um, you know one six foot five and all the rest of it so. Um, <laughs> They're not children, Andrew. Yeah, yeah. So I mean that, but I, I'm I'm not the kind of person to really kind of um, spar for that stuff. But it's just at, at the same time you have to kind of um, stand up for what the listener wants to be asked, really. And you know, in in the social media age, it's much easier for the listener to tell you what um, what they want to be asked. Yeah. Well. Uh... Listen, Andrew, I mean, I, I know that I speak for large swathes of the support base in saying that you, you do do that, mate. You do a cracking job for us. Um, you're, I say, your delivery is effortless. You, you absolutely strike the, the right tone between partisan and professionalism. 
Um, and I'm sure, um, as an experienced head as, as Vic is, um, he would he would sort of echo those sentiments. I mean, Vic, I was just going to bring you in almost like to kind of round things off for Andrew, really, because I've totally lost track of time and realised we're cracking on the typical Sir Tom Broadbent Lounge style. It's nearly 11 o'clock at night. But um, is, is, Vic, is there anything that you wanted to say to Andrew or anything that you would ask Andrew by way of uh, by way of closing closing this wonderful segment? No, I, I mean, I just, I know how difficult the job is because, you know, when you've uh, driven up to um, Birkenhead for a game last night, you know, I, I always remember going to Sunderland on a Monday night. You drive up to Sunderland, you you get into the ground at the old Roker Park, you fix everything up, you do the game, then you get the interviews afterwards, and then you drive back again. You know, you, it's not a case of turning up and doing a game for 90 minutes. Uh, you know, it is a basically 20-hour day. And there's been many occasions when I've, you know, really sort of felt wrecked at the end of it. And I know how difficult it is. So, and Andrew is such a great bloke. I mean, there's no, we often have a chat, don't we, when we meet up at some godforsaken ground up north or something. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, you know, I know what you have to do. And uh, it, it, until you've done the job, I don't think you realise just how much effort and passion and hard work goes into it and you know i'm not saying this as a poor meeting because it's something we love doing but you know no, I, did the, I did the game last week you know at the county ground with exeter and you know it, there's what they call the red mic moment when the red mic goes on that's the moment you live for it's as simple as that so you know andrew does a fantastic job and long may continue to do so yeah, I, I, I completely agree. Um, you, you know, both both you gentlemen um, over a prolonged period of time have, have, have spoiled us with the quality of your of your delivery, gents. And I'm really grateful that you're, you're willing to come on to this fledgling show and, um, and share share such wonderful insights with us. And please, if there is, um, I won't I won't hold you to it as a promise, but please don't be strangers, chaps. You're um, you, it's, it's wonderful having you along. And I think. Um, I mean, Vic, you nailed it when you messaged me earlier um, and I thanked you for giving us a little mention on the official supporters club on Monday. Um, we're, 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 what, my, my attitude to putting putting Swindon Town content out there is one of, it's, it's not about, you know, oh, I don't want to talk about this show, don't want to talk about that show, or there's people in competition with this. It's all about this wonderful kind of ecosystem of Swindon Town content and, and putting as much of that out there as possible. Your voices are so important in that blend that it would be remiss of this um, show moving forward to not be able to uh, dip in and out of your wonderful minds uh, and get your input from time to time. So, um, I won't. I won't hold you to it as a promise, but please don't be strangers. Is all I would say. Um, I will. Um, Tyler and I are going to um, wrap up this um, this latest edition by having a conversation about Tranmere last night. You're more than welcome to hang around, gentlemen. You're more than welcome to turn your mics off. You're more than welcome to disappear. I appreciate I've taken up a huge chunk of your night, but um, poor old Tyler's been sat there, sort of patiently listening to. Um, um, three elder states with the Swindon Town sort of parish waffling on about everything from Glen Hoddle. It was him, much uh, better in the nineties, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, so, uh, one thing I would say is when you said about Andrew's age and Tyler's age earlier, I sort of did a bit of mathematics and I realised that even if you had those two ages together, I'm still older than that. Yeah, Which but is... you're not. You're not getting older, Vic. You're getting better. <laughs> I'm still playing football, so I'm still having a go. <laughs> yes, exactly that. Exactly that. 
Um, you're you're only you're only as old as your voice sounds, Vic, and you don't sound any any older than me. So you, you likewise you keep up the good work, buddy, and I appreciate everything you put out there on behalf of the football club supporters. So um, thank you, both of you. Tyler, I can't. No, no, th- thank you. Um, can I say what? Can I say one thing quickly? Um, of course. That's all right. No, no. I should I should thank Vic for the the very kind words, which I'm I'm flushing out here. Um, and like I say, um, as much as as much as I can, um, I'm very happy to. Or I think it's great the the kind of different Swindon content that's out there, whether it's the panel, whether it's you know late strangers and all the the stuff they've done. Um, I I personally don't sit there and you know think you know um, it should be entirely what the, you know this is the domain of the BBC and no one else should be near it. Um, the more the more different inputs, the the merrier in the the Swindon town ecosystem. Yeah, indeed, Andrew. Indeed, I, I salute that spirit and and long may it continue. And the good thing is. I think across across all the various <clears throat> endeavours that are being put out there by supporters and indeed um, uh, official and indeed BBC channels, I think generally um, uh, they, I think it, it try to be as open as we can and um, as all encompassing. And yeah, long may that continue. You, you can probably tell by the way I just keep wanting to just talk about commentary, gents. That I'm trying to put off, off the obvious and talk about last night because much much like Crawley, Tyler, <laughs> we're in that place again, aren't we? No. Just no, <laughs> no, just no. Just how how was it, Tyler? What what was your so poor 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 old Vic? Vic had a Vic had a, a ten hour round trip. Yours yours wasn't quite as dramatic in terms of. Um, I mean, we missed the train. Uh, so, I left my uh, house at like nine in the morning, so yeah, probably worked out quite as long. Yeah, and you you obviously got to meet Vic up at the ground, so you know clearly we're tying that in quite nicely with Vic coming on tonight, but um. What's um? What was your takeaway? I mean, from the the, the performance itself, Tyler. I mean, it it raised oh, clearly more, far more questions than than we got answers. Um, it's it's safe to say there's been a social media meltdown sort of post game. There's been more polls on Garner in or Garner out than I care to mention over the last sort of twelve hours. But um, what's um. What, what what was your what was your takeaway from the game? If we start by sort of looking at the lineup. What's um? What was your gut reaction as you sort of taking your seat, or or rather standing by your seat before the game? Uh, were you were you feeling positive looking at the no, lineup? It was hysterical. I just thought the state of that team. Yeah, I mean, you you and I were exchanging messages. Obviously, you were up there. I was watching on on the laptop, and I mean, I think the first thing that I I picked up on was something that I mentioned. Um, after we saw um, uh, Ellis Iandolo introduced against Exeter. Was that there's a, it seems to me it's easy when when we're not the ones that are being paid to pick the team and get a, get a result. But I I I'm obviously like a lot of people that be listening tonight. Um, very fondly remember the Paolo Di Canio era, uh, where we had a left footer, fast attacking left footer playing on the right hand side, cutting in and causing havoc. Now I'm not for a minute suggesting Ellis Iandolo is quite at the pitch that Matt Ritchie hit when he was sort of at his peak with Swindon Town. But for me, we've got a we've got a, a two-footed left back on loan from Peterborough, playing on the left-hand side. We've surely we've we've lost Kane Kessler Hayden on the right-hand side and all of his attacking endeavour. Surely it makes sense to be playing Ellis Iandolo either on the right or on the left and rotating the two, switching the two, and keeping Tranmere guessing. So I think that was the first thing that hit me. Did anything similar occur to you? Yeah, I just thought Ellis at holding midfield was hysterical, but I don't agree with what you said about playing Rob Hunt there. 
you have a competent no. holding midfielder sat on that bench. And what's that going to do for his confidence, the fact that full-backs just get picked in his position ahead of him? Uh, right, now listen, I'll clarify my Rob Hunt comment. So for the listeners uh, that, don't, um, that won't have a, a view on it, I, I tweeted out last night, as soon as I saw the lineup, that similar to what I was just saying about Iandolo and Tomlinson, if you're going to put Rob Hunt in that lineup, the most logical place to put Rob Hunt is somewhere central on the back of him being a um, actually giving some really sterling performances at the heart of the defence. And would I play Rob Hunt as a holding midfielder? Absolutely no. Um, I might consider playing Dion Conroy there. It's a role that he's played with us previously, but obviously he's injured at the moment and he's totally bereft of form. And he wasn't even in the lineup anyway. But my mindset was more one of, well, hang on a minute, we're playing second in the league. We've got a lad that's been very accomplished playing essentially as a centre-back, but really we all know he's a full-back. We're not playing full-back system, so, and he's not letting anyone down at the moment. So if you're going to be fair to people or give someone an opportunity... I think you've, you've surely got to play Rob Hunt there as opposed to Ellis. If you gave me the choice, I would have put Rob East in there all day. Don't get me wrong. I personally, I'm, just as I was at the weekend, gobsmacked that, that Eastie wasn't used as a holding central defensive midfielder. I couldn't get my head around it. I couldn't understand it. But looking at the lineup as he's picked it, my gut reaction was we well, got to put Hunt in there. And obviously, he, he hasn't done that. So... Um, Okay, so we you've got the LSI Andalo sort of situation. I mean, he just doesn't look comfortable there, does he? No, he's scared to use his right foot. And, I mean, in midfield, you don't have that choice at times if you are using your left or using your right. And then, like, other issues with it, it was just at the back, you lack a bit of leadership. And then the front line, that McCurdy's not there. He, he's not with it at the moment. So drop him. He needs to be dropped. Um, and you know what? I'm, I, I, I share that sentiment as well. Um, I mean, it can't please Aston Villa that they've loaned us Louis Barry and he's essentially getting a little bit of a kind of bit part introduction to life at Swindon. Um, I am, I'm of the same opinion. I think the, the, it's an interesting one with Harry McCurdy because we talked about this on a previous show, Tyler, didn't we, about how Harry McCurdy's goals have kind of, in, in a way, generated a little bit of a problem in terms of the system that we're playing with two up top, because McCurdy emerged as almost like the small man playing off of a big man by scoring a few goals and then went on a run, and that was great. And he and Simpson clicked, and we're away. The issue the issue that we've kind of got now is that as he's formed sort of dropping away and we're starting to see a little bit of ill discipline, he looks like a lad that needs to be given a breather, just an opportunity to step back. You know, it's no disrespect to him. Have a look at what's going on out on the pitch. Just have a think about your game. Think about how you're going to go on and influence it. Just just pull him out the firing line. And you've got sooner or later, Louis Barry's got to be given, he's got to be let off the leash. He's got to be given an opportunity. And Louis Barry quite clearly looks like a player that needs to be playing off of a traditional number nine or playing in a front three. So, yeah, I think, yeah, I, I think most people would be sharing the same sort of, you know, concerns about that starting lineup. Then, Obviously, the, the whistle goes five minutes into the game and we decide we're going to shoot ourselves in the foot again at the back. I think that's, it's interesting, Tyler, because from my point of view, looking, looking at the goal back, one of the things that struck me about last night was actually we were a little bit sort of, you know, we, we were a bit sort of pondersome on the ball. Um, we, talking about 
So if you're a centre-half under pressure, one of your first outlets in our system has got to be the central defensive midfielder, isn't it? And one of the nice things about what Louis Reed brings to the table is that he receives the ball, turns, he's got very quick feet, and he distributes it very fast. I, I wondered last night whether that was what might have gone through Cooper's head when, obviously, disaster struck, because... I mean, he just sort of held on to it. He just seemed reluctant to want to let it go. Now, whether that's because he didn't want to let it go to Ellis or whether that's whatever whatever was going through his head, maybe overconfidence, call it what you will. But um, what what went through your mind when, apart from the obvious, what went through your mind when, you know, Cooper's had the ball nicked off his toe? Um, did you know straight away it was going to be curtains for the night? Or how were you feeling? Well, I knew he was going to score because you give a striker that sort of chance, they shouldn't miss. Um, but I just, I thought, Yes, it's Cooper's fault because he's lost the ball, but it's not all his fault. The lack of movement ahead of him is atrocious, especially when you watch it back. You've got Gladwin just sort of jogging backwards into players. Ellis runs away from him into a space that's being blocked off already, turns his back on play. You've got Rob Hunt, who's just in no man's land. Joe Tomlinson, you can't really see where he is, so I'm not. I'm not going to sort of bring him into it, but that's four players who are just sort of out of nowhere. Odomayo and O'Brien are probably in the right sort of positions, but then as soon as Cooper loses the ball, Odomayo's jogging back. Fucking sprint, mate. Hmm. At least, like, yeah. make that effort. You probably won't get there, but make make the effort at least. Now, effort's an interesting word when we're reviewing sort of yesterday's game, because... I I was obviously going out of my mind, sat there watching it, uh, as my, my my son will uh, will relay to you next time you see him. Um, I, I, I was just burying my head into the sofa, just could not believe what I was watching. It was reminiscent of some of the some of the dross that we had to put up with last season. Um, there, there's obviously been you know whispers of of a bit of discontent, you know, a little bit of trouble in paradise in terms of um, you know. There's there's been debate around whether Conroy's injured. There's been whispers around uh, fallings out with various players in the squad. We've obviously lost uh, Anthony Grant, and there was a lot of speculation over what was going on with um, with uh, Grant's situation at the club and the circumstances in which he lost his place and then couldn't couldn't get it back. Um, and then there's been an interesting um, Instagram post, I believe, today from Matthew Baldry, um, which let's just say is open to interpretation. Now, with all of that, uh, a loss of form, a lot of injuries, a lot of new faces, there just seem to be, you know, a there just seem to be that lack of urgency and effort that we were seeing before Christmas. Um, there seemed to be a reluctance for players to show to want to get on the ball. Um, you know, to want to make things happen. And I think the one thing that we, um, you know, I think it was before the Sutton game where there have been some question marks about how well, how slow our build-up play was. So that nobody was knocking Garner ball, but everybody was saying, if we're going to play Garner ball, it's got to be played quick tempo, like really fast, really effective. Um, and then we saw a version of that against Sutton, certainly for long periods of that game. Um, last night, I'm not quite sure... I saw players holding on to the ball a lot longer than usual. I saw players trying to carry the ball a lot like you know further than they normally would. Um, and quite frankly, they just seemed to be there didn't seem to be the commitment to the system that we've been seeing in previous weeks. 
Is that how you read it, or was that just me with a negative mindset? I, I just thought it was awful. I just thought it was absolutely dreadful. Like you say, uh, Sutton, because uh, I watched that one and I followed, the tempo was there, we were having shots. Uh, we probably should have had an extra couple of goals that day. Um, and yep. then Northampton, admittedly, they just come back from COVID, which probably helped making us look a bit better. But we were high, high pressing, quick tempo, and we slapped five past them. And then it's just back to this slow, sluggish, lethargic way of playing that just, it's not working. It's too slow. It's so easy to predict. As soon as you see Jojo on the ball, you think, right, it's going to a centre-back. One of the centre-backs gets it. Oh, it's going to the other centre-back. And you can just see what's going to happen before it even happens. And I think it was Andrew who actually tweeted about it, saying that it's really annoying going to a game knowing what's going to happen beforehand or something along those lines. And it's bang on. Like you, I sort of went there knowing like we're, we're going to get absolutely smashed there. Yeah, and that must have been so disheartening. I mean, it was disheartening enough for me, mate, just opening up the wallet and buying myself a match pass. But I felt, after the weekend, I, 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 it, it was, you know, I was, I've been, there's been no reluctance for me to splash the cash on Swindon Town this season. You know, despite the fact I'm freshly retired and cutting my cloth, I have probably been spending more money on our football club this year than I ever have. And yet, last night, it was reminiscent to some of the debates I had in my own mind last season about whether or not I was going to bother and I did because I was like, no, no, no. You know, I've seen enough earlier in the season. You know, it's not all doom and gloom. You know, we've got some talented technicians out on that pitch. You know, I looked at the lineup. I thought, well, you know, maybe, maybe. And then lo and behold, five minutes, five minutes into the game, it was literally last season revisited. I was like, why have I made that decision? Credit to you. You've obviously, you've, you've, you've done planes, trains, and automobiles to get yourself to Birkenhead. So that the pain must have been a hundredfold what I was feeling. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think I think there's a photo of me with my like, head on my knees, um, feet up on the chair in front, just looking miserable. Yeah, utterly glum. Well, I mean, look, we, we look, there's no point picking the goals apart. They the, the whole you know the whole thing was a debacle. A really sloppy second goal. Really, really sloppy penalty. Um, it it all felt so inevitable. I think the the thing that that actually, as a as an incident, we touched on it earlier. The thing that um, just before you came on, Silo, we talked again about ill discipline, and it seemed to come from the most sort of surprising source in this case, in um, Scott Marshall getting a red card, rightly or wrongly. He was deemed to have encroached that. Well, he he certainly did encroach the opposition's technical area and was given a red card accordingly, harshly in the view of Ben Garner. But what are I mean? Appreciate. All of our all of our players are going to want to stick up for one of one of their own and show a little bit of fight when things are kicking off. But we, I don't know what your feeling is about this, Todd. Eh? But for me, discipline comes from the top, right? So if you've got a manager that is, I mean, we're going to, I'm going to talk about this on a few fronts. Actually, you've got a manager that's constantly digging digging out referees. We know the referees are poor standard. Now, in my mind. One of the one of the greatest managers in the history of, UK, of British football was Brian Clough, and as I don't know if you're aware of what Cluffy's approach to referees was, Tyler, but Cluffy was actually pretty smart. He would come down really, really hard on on his players dissenting um, against referees, and he would actually go the whole hog to make referees feel very welcome 
um, you know, looked after at games. You know, their facilities would always be good. Uh, you know, the, he would be the first person to dig out one of his players if they got into the face of a referee. And I think a little part of that was he tried to portray an image of sort of being a little bit old-fashioned, a bit traditional when it comes to authority. But actually, it's just really smart. Because these referees, at the end of the day, yeah, they've got a job to do. They're blowing the whistle. They've got to uphold the laws of the game. But they're human beings. And also, referees talk. So referees get together and talk. They, they go to conferences. They go to training, uh, coaching workshops and so forth, all together. Now, if you've got a team that has got a reputation for having a striker that waves his arms about a lot and is constantly in the ear of linesmen and constantly in the ear of referees, surely they're going to be telling each other, oh, keep an eye out for that Harry McCurdy lad. You know, he's he's going to be in your ear. Oh, he's, he's, you know, it's just human nature, surely. Equally, you know, oh, yeah, you know, they're, they're, you know, their staff will try and put you on the back foot. You know, you're, you're in for a rough ride. You know, they're going to question your decisions. They're going to make you feel, you know, like, you know, you don't know what you're doing. Or Now, whether that's what's happening or what's not, the fact is we, we're getting into the ear of referees and questioning decisions over and over and over and over again. And... Surely, the, the, the level of poor performance we're seeing from referees this season, surely that's got to be having an effect. It's the only conclusion I can draw, apart from the fact they've just got awful. But, you know, I, I hate to use the term, let's polish a turd, but surely that should be our approach this season. It should be, well, let's if we're going to try and curry favour, I'm not saying we'd do anything underhand, but if you want any kind of... I mean, in life, I believe you get more with sugar than you do with lemons, Right. So why are we dishing up lemons constantly to referees? You know, I just don't get it. So to see, I guess the point I'm making is to see Scott Marshall get sent off yesterday was just another demonstration of of our sort of, you know, of our sort of, you know inability to sort of manage ourselves. And I mean, if if I'm the if I'm running our club, I mean, this can't be the kind of thing that's pleasing Clem because he's going to be the one that's having to write the checks. Um, you know, that we're we're having to pay bills every time people get sent off, we get fined. You know. And it just seems like so it's a waste of money and it's tarnishing our reputation. And fundamentally, I believe that it's drip feeding down into the team and it's going to be affecting how the team acts towards referees. I mean, would you, you're a big fan of Louis Reed. I mean, would you have honestly believed that Louis Reed would have been the kind of lad to come sprinting off the bench and confront a referee in the manner that he did, Tyler, a couple of weeks ago? No, but I'll, I'll give Reedy a bit of slack because if there is any referee that deserved it this season, it, it was that Crawley game. I was saying it the other day, most games this season, admittedly the referees have been poor, but I've never actually been annoyed and thought the ref's the one that's cost us the game. We sort of yep. cost ourselves it most of the time. But Crawley yep. actually felt like, you know what, we, we've really been screwed out of it here. Yep. And so I, I sort of side with Reedy on that. And to be fair to him, he's come out, he's apologised for it. And he's gone about it the right way, whereas, I mean, I hate to throw him under the bus again, but our captain went and did the exact same thing after Barrow, and we never even got an apology. Mm. So it's just the little things like that when it comes to your discipline. And, and then, like you say, it does, it comes from the top. And it's just been so poor this season. So, so yeah. poor. I mean, if I'm, if I'm Louis Reed, right, for example, uh, and as you know, huge fan of Louis Reed, and I'm, I, I share, pretty much share your mindset in terms of, you know, shared that frustration. Um, you know, you see, I'll just make the point again, you know, you see, you see your manager almost like on a weekly basis questioning referees and referees' decisions. You know, you're watching, you're watching your skipper get sent off um, after a match. 
shouting his chops off against the referee. And who are you taking your lead from? As a young professional that wants to be kind of one of the leaders of the team, that Louis is clearly emerging as one of our most influential players, you know, you're... You're going to want to. Feel, I mean, it's just human nature, isn't it? You're going to want to feel that need for, you know, accountability. You're going to want to lead the fight to the people that are serving up the injustice and asking them to explain themselves, rightly or wrongly. It just feels like a human instinct of a, a slightly less experienced professional, albeit a, you know, technically gifted one on the pitch. But um, I mean, obviously, um, we got Louis Ree back um, for Scunthorpe at the weekend. He's been a huge miss, hasn't he? Yeah. Massive, massive miss. He has to go straight back in that team. If Jacko's available, you've got to get Payne back in. I'd probably start Aguiar, I think. I'd probably start Mitchell Dawson or Louis Barry. A lot needs to change because it's just not been good enough. And we'll see. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I'm Garner's <laughs> out or Garner in, but it, it's starting to get toward like crunch time now. Like, I'd say another three games like this, and and you're really putting putting it on the ropes. Well, well, some of the, I mean, again, we'll cut, you've raised an interesting sort of um, an interesting sort of topic for conversation, Ricky Aguiar. So, we've not had a huge amount of um, uh, sort of game time to judge Aguiar and whether or not he's he's ready to be playing first team football. But, um, I mean, I can't, I don't believe I'd be the only one that was watching the game last night that like genuinely sort of bulked my, you know, bulked in you know, when I see Jaden Mitchell Lawson being brought in to play a central midfield role when Johnny Williams goes off injured, when you've got a natural, natural sort of orientated, for want of a better word, central attacking midfielder in Ricky Aguiar on the bench, just like it's like the Ryan East situation with the central defensive midfielder position. I mean, if you if, if we've already got it, if, you know, what better learning experience have you got? For a young professional, now you'll talk about our oh, young professional will be crushed by pressure and blah 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 blah. But if that's the case, you shouldn't be anywhere near the first team. You certainly shouldn't even be on the bench. Appreciate we're threadbare, but he's been deemed as good enough to not be loaned out again. You know, we bought him back from Chippenham for a reason. You, you, he's a ready-made replacement for Johnny Williams. Surely you, you've got to bring him on. You've got to use him. But for me, it was grossly unfair on um, on Jaden Mitchell Lawson to be asking him to play central midfield, a position that I'll be very surprised if he's had any kind of prep going into that particular role. Um, at, at a time where Mitchell Lawson's, you know, ultimately he's straining at the leash, he wants to be sort of deployed up front. It's square pegs in round holes. And it looked like that as well. I mean, I would have hoped that, you know, it was obvious that Mitchell Lawson wasn't comfortable playing in that central midfield role. It, it seemed to take a long time for Garner to recognise that before he introduced Aguiar into the fray. Um, what was the, I mean, how, again, I've, I only had the TV perspective, Tyler, watching it from my end, you were in the stands. I mean, did it, did he look a square peg in a round hole from the stands, Jadon Mitchell Lawson? No, the square peg in a round hole, don't describe what he looked like. It, it, he was someone who looked like he'd never played midfield before in his life, which he probably hasn't. He just didn't really understand like where he should be at what time and the positioning was all off. You can tell he wants to just be in that forward line. Mm. Yeah, it was that. Yeah, deeply frustrating. But um, well, 
anyway, let's not worry too much. We've only got some scum talk to look forward to on Saturday. Just so happened to win last night and just so happened to have a certain Mr. Anthony Grant in central midfield who's no doubt going to want to play with a point to prove. Um, to what extent do you think we should be fearing Scunthorpe, Tyler? Because but prior to last night, I've got to be honest, I was licking my lips at um, the, the prospect of playing them at the county ground on Saturday. Now, I, I genuinely believe Saturday is going to be a really, really, really important moment um, for Ben Garner's tenure as manager of Swindon Town uh, and also um, the the general demeanour and, and, and feeling amongst the supporter base. I mean, so there's, there can be no doubt that the club have been brilliantly supported by uh, the club this year. We've turned that in our droves. Um, I'm, I'm really concerned that, you know, obviously the pressure's on. We've got to put on a big performance on Saturday because I... I've got to, I've just got this awful feeling that if, if things don't go our way on Saturday, you know, the naysayers, I'm not, just to stress, I am not garner out as things stand, but my patience is just really starting to wear thin for all the reasons we've discussed. Um, are you of the same mindset as me, Tyler? It's not, it's not quite kind of make or break, but I mean, it's Exeter was big at the weekend, but now Scunthorpe is, is huge for the management team. Yep, I mean, if Scunthorpe, so what is it now? We've got Scunthorpe, Carlisle, and it's another sort of team around that area, I think. Um, we've got those three coming up, and it's got to be nine. It, and if if it's something like four points out of the next three, he's got to go. It's that simple. Anything below seven is... is Failure, near enough. From the next three. Well, a, a point a point was made to me earlier. I mean, I, I don't want to be writing the you know Ben Garner's obituary, and I, I do stress like I I'm a I'm a big believer in I was a big believer at the start of the season about um, consolidation, rebuilding. I'm very 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 well aware of the fact that we as a club have had so much turmoil. That actually, we do need a period of rebuild. I do appreciate the fact that there are things going on in relation to, obviously, the playing staff. They're changing attitudes in terms of developing young players, and these things are going to take time. I'm plugged into, <clears throat> plugged into all of that. I think the thing that dictates my thinking is clearly appreciate. Listen, the, the club didn't choose for me to have to have a you know a you know 240 mile round trip every Saturday. That's that's my that's my labour of love, but I, I spend an awful lot of money to travel from where I live and bring my entire family up to the county grounds to ultimately be entertained, to enjoy football and to feel that, you know, um, you know, we are, you know, I'm seeing a group of lads out on that pitch that are absolutely, you know, busting, busting their ass to get us those three points. Um, and I've lost count the number of times this season where I've come away from the county ground just feeling flat and underwhelmed what's kept me going is that i've been able to go to away games where i've seen a click and where at a point in time we weren't leaking lots of goals we were looking like pretty spectacular going forward the football some of the football i saw was as good as anything we saw under the richie wellens era um but you know like i've said i think i meant someone was talking earlier about paolo di canio and i made the point that listen at the end of the day football's a results business it's and it's an entertainment business and if, if you're not putting ticks in those boxes, you know, they, 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 it's inevitable that your employers are going to start asking questions about, well, hang on a minute, is there a better option? I don't think, I, I don't know, 
uh, clearly I know that you have a certain mindset on certain managers that are available out there at the moment, but there are managers that this is the other thing that will not be helping him and that there are very affordable managers that have credibility in and around um, SM1. Um, you know, it, it must be very, very tempting, you know, to, you know, to look at some of that. But I think to what extent, you know, we've got to kind of manage this quick fix. Like, do we, get, you know, for example, let's throw his name in there, Richie Wellens. To what extent would Richie Wellens coming in be a, I know you don't think he'll be a quick fix, but just take him as an example. Would that satisfy the fan base in the short term? But then would that be damaging longer term when they're building a project behind the scenes with Ben Garner at the helm of the coaching? You know, to, to what extent we just need a good slap in the face by the hand of, you know, sort of sensible thinking and common sense. Like, hang on a second, this guy needs time. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say, Tyler, is like, twi twist or stick. You're saying, obviously, if we only get a couple of points out of the next available nine, then you're, you're going to twist and you're going to go with someone. But who are you going to bring in? Firstly, would I bring in? Um... There, there are good names available that, that you could potentially draw down. I mean, one of the ones that someone I, I was speaking to the other day about it mentioned was Lee Johnson. I'm not sold on it, but I could see why you'd want it. Um, obviously, recently being sacked at Sunderland, but what he did with Bristol City, as much as I'm not keen on Bristol City, was impressive. So, it's one name, and obviously he's quite local. So it's not like someone who'd run off to go up north for another club like Richie did, but beside the point. Yeah. I think, I mean, I'll, I'll just pin my, nail, my, you know, my colours to the mast. I think, um, I, I think with the players that we've got available to us, the style of football that we play, I could see Richie stepping in to run the current sort of setup at Swindon Town implement a style of play and and crucially the, the big difference between probably the two gaffers will be a certain style of fan engagement um i think he would very quickly um address the situation around him leaving um and i think he would very quickly um plaster over that um and i i think he would be given a, a you know far more leeway um in order to achieve even if results didn't go his way straight straight off the bat I think it would be too too soon to look at a Matt Taylor. I think Ryan Mason is going to be way outside of our um, you know our our budget constraints. Um, and then really beyond that, you're starting to look at you know are there are there big names out there that just like the idea of potentially coming in and um, you know getting hold of a project. And um, and a bit like Glenn Hoddle back in '93, you know, Hoddle didn't come in earning the money he was on at Tottenham as manager of Swindon, but he did it because it was part of a part of his development, part of his stepping stone. So, but obviously, time, time, you know, time, times have changed, and um, you know, football's not what it was back in the the early to mid '90s. But um, yeah, so I think it is a tricky thing. But said, all right, like you said, Johnson, there are options out there, and I think. Um, Whilst I'm not saying we need to press the button now, and like I said, I, I, I maintain I am still very much pro Garner. I, I, I think there are a lot of things that have happened to us in this window that are just beyond his control, um, and probably beyond Ben Chorley's control as well. Um, in the losing of all of those loan players, in the circumstances of which we've lost them, um, obviously they're you know they are 
they are working to a certain budget and I think strikers come at a premium and probably the strikers that are available or could have been available are outside of our, our budgetary constraints. But the one thing that Ben Garner does have the power over is, you know, the tactical setup. And we have got players in that squad. The, 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 you know, the, the tactics have got to change, you know, as far as I can see, particularly with, with injuries to Johnny Williams, um, with injuries to Jordan Lydon. Um, you know, Gladders looks like he, he needs a, a, a bloody good rest. Um, I think he's 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 got to try and shuffle his pack, and he's he's got to be a little less um, risk averse. Whether that means appreciate he's recruited for five at the back, but you know, unfortunately, someone's going to have to you know someone's going to have to potentially take a hit at the back uh, in order, to, or we're going to have to you know drop the idea of a central defensive midfielder and play really further up the pitch. But so clear, I guess the message I said ahead of Saturday is going to be a very brave man to persevere with the same setup that he went into the Tranmere game with, isn't he? Yeah, for me, I mean, I'm I'm not a qualified coach, so obviously it's not got the same weight. But I'd probably say it's time to go for like a four-three-three, and you have to sacrifice one of your centre halves, but get Davinson up there through the middle with Mitchell Lawson on one side, Barry or McCurdy on the other, and then obviously you want probably Tomlinson, Ellis or Hunty. And then, and then it's your midfield three, which at the moment, without having a Leiden, would, would be a bit, bit painful. But just give Aguiar that chance. If if you don't think we're going to go out this year, play someone who'll be a key figure next year, so they have the minutes. Yeah. Um, Tyler, Gary, Gary's um, uh, requested to come on and have a quick chat with us. Gary, if you're able to activate your mic, mate, you're, you're more than welcome to come on and have a natter with us just prior to us wrapping up. Um, so unless you've dashed out to the kitchen and make yourself a cup of tea, uh, it'd be lovely to hear what you've got to say, mate, as a lifelong Swindon Town fan, which is clear from your bio. Um, so we'll give you a couple of seconds, mate, if you see if you can get your technology working. Um, Tyler, whilst um, I've given Gary the opportunity to come on, whilst um, we see whether or not he can sort those bits and bobs out his end, um, anything you want to say as a, as a wrap-up, really, bud? Um I mean, uh, pretty talked out. Mammoth show. Have a two hour, twenty minutes, two hours and twenty minutes to Swindon Town. Um, anything you want to say about Andrew's input or Vic's input? Uh, anything you want to say that hasn't been said ahead of Saturday, mate? Now's the time. Um, well, might as well touch on last night. It was the one good thing I can take from last night was Tramay scoring in the fifth minute, which was really, really nice to see. Even though it's against us, if that makes sense. It yep. felt like very, very, very with yeah. all the circumstances. So, uh, that, yeah, that with young Nate, yeah, quite nice in a cloud of shit. Yeah, for anyone that isn't aware, obviously Tranmere lost a, a young supporter um, who the club had very much taken into their hearts. Um, a young lad, I think he was five years of age, um, and yeah, sadly lost his battle against um, serious illness. Um, not not too far ahead of the game, and Tyler, what what? Um, what was lovely was that um, there, there's been some really lovely messages from his family to um, uh, to Swindon supporters, just just full of. I mean, it didn't go unnoticed that when the ball hit the back of the net, um, we could have just basically just buried our hands in our pockets and gone on a big sulk. Uh, but it was at that point the Swindon fans were applauding along with the, 
the Tranmere fans observing that minute's applause and, and that continued and um, that clearly meant a huge amount to the family. So, you know, at a time where football fans are taking a battering, um, including our own after the events um, at the Man City game, it was um, lovely to see a little bit of class from the best part of 300 odd fans that went um, went north in their swimming colours. So, um, yeah, congrats and well done to all of those guys for um, putting our best foot forward as a club. Um, right, Tyler, well, I'll be seeing you uh, bright and early then on Saturday. Um, for anyone that wants to come over and say hello, guys, we're usually um, either in, uh, well, we're usually at the cricket club or usually in the Legends Lounge. Um, pretty, um, we're pretty obvious to spot. Just look for the uh, the bald fat um, <laughs> dude in dodgy birch, and that'll be me. Um, and Tyler will probably be cringing um, away from me somewhere, um, trying trying not to be seen to be an associate of mine. But um, really appreciate your ears, everybody. I hope you've all enjoyed tonight. I thought Andrew was absolutely sparkling. Really enjoyed Vic coming on as well. And Tyler, your your insight and input is as valued as always, mate. So thank you ever so much. Um, look forward to seeing you all on Saturday. Until then, guys, take care and thanks again for your ears.